From the imagination comes the story of a man. Joe, come on, boy, let's go. Grass is waiting for you. With the mind of a child. Yes, Cybo Man, he came to see me. Cybo Man, comics, right? Yes, Cybo Man. <laughs> and a doctor. A virtual reality holds a key to the evolution of the human mind. With a vision of the future. I have a game in my house that you might like to play. Would you like that? Yeah. Okay. That was really bad. I have different games. I even have one that could help make you smarter. Now, ah! Job Smith is about to enter the world of virtual reality. Ah, it's gonna hit no, me! No, no, Job, just relax. It's gonna be like being up there with the stars, Job. They're going to another planet. His mind is like a clean, hungry sponge. I just graduated to the next level, Joe. <laughs> You're not the lawnmower man. Oh, you've certainly changed. I don't know how you did it, but I approve. Absorbed Latin yesterday in less than two hours. Joe, where are you? A world where the normal course of events can suddenly turn inside out you realized dr angelo that my intelligence has surpassed yours the imaginary becomes real trying to get inside my head joe you can't hide anything from me dr angelo and reality we have no idea what he's going to do is all in your mind <laughs> the lawnmower man I'm Dion Baia. And I'm Blake. Not Jay Blake. Just Blake. And this is Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Little did the boys know that that was going to be their first <laughs> night before death. But did they realize awaiting for them would be murder and cruelty? That's us. We're auditioning for our Dateline voiceovers. <laughs> And we didn't know at the time that they were going to be. There's about three people on Dateline, and I'm obsessed with watching it, but I can't, But every, they always annoy me. There's the girl who's got to stop having Botox because I think she's really pretty. There's the guy that's like a poor man's a Harvey Weinstein. He kind of talks like this, and he always seems a little drunk. What, do, you think that was, do you think that was normal? And then there's the other guy who t- who's always talking like this with the white <laughs> hair. He's like, and it was so morose. They didn't know what was going to find them. So, yes. But I'm here with Blake. Happy to be here. As always, we, we are over uh, Blake's mama's house tonight. Not Blake's kid's mama's house, because Blake doesn't have a kid. But <laughs> we're over Blake's mama's house. Not that I know of, anyway. Yeah. But you don't know. You, those college days. Um, and we are doing a fun movie tonight. A couple months ago, we, we the DeLorean, the, the, the hot tub... The uh, whatever else you can, the, the aircraft carrier got stuck in the time machine and we got stuck in 1996. So we did two movies from 96, both coincidentally having Skeet Ulrich in, in the pictures. 
today our hot tub DeLorean aircraft carrier and thingy that uh, what's-his-face rides on that has the big thing in the back that H.G. Wells made, uh, it's stuck in 1990. And we're doing a John Glover special <laughs> double feature. <laughs> True. We're doing RoboCop 2 from 1990. Good old RoboCop 2. Uh, John Glover made it a, a surprise appearance because that's been so long since I've seen this movie. Yeah, I didn't even remember. No recollection that he was in this movie. I, uh, so we determined it or two a month ago, and we had the twins in it, those two guys. And then we did two weeks ago Gremlins 2, the new batch, which had the twins again. So we, we, we hopped over from them. And then this one that had John Glover as well. And then this movie, we got John Glover right at the beginning. And then he's done with. He's the car salesman. That's it. The uh, well, next episode. We're going to find <laughs> like a Peter Weller or, or Nancy, Nancy Allen, Allen or the old man or uh, somebody. You know, uh, yeah, he ends up being in that uh, uh, Magnum. Tom Noonan. Tom, the great Tom Noonan <laughs> doing an evil impression. We're, uh, Blake and I are going to tease. We have a Tom Noonan story that we've been holding for years that Which happened to us. we probably told. Did we tell a Tom? On our Monster Squad episode. Oh, did we already, Damn. Well, we can true. tell it again. We're going to tell it again because who knows if anyone out there or, or everyone listening listened to our Monster Squad episode. So we're going to reprise that. We told uh, Blake's Gremlins 2 story. Mm-hmm. That we told in another earlier episode last week, and uh, this week now we're telling uh, we're going to be telling our second time doing it, bringing it right back. So, but but that was a tease, like like we like to say. So we'll come back to that later. But first, and then that's when you hit your DVR and you can skip forward through the commercials. So this is RoboCop, uh, nineteen ninety. This was me, big, huge. I'm always bringing my f- friend Martin up, but we were uh, balls deep into comic book collecting at the time. We loved, you know. Uh, all things comics, uh, videos, movies, and when we heard when RoboCop was getting a sequel, you know, we I think the novelization may, might have even come out before the movie came out, and we had the uh, the the graphic novel comic book. I mean, not the novelization. Uh, we had that, and when I finally saw this movie, I don't I don't think I saw it in the theaters. It scared the crap. I mean, not scared, but it was just so dark and so disturbing on so many levels. It really just it kind of frightened me. You know, and it's still one of these movies where, like, if I see the cover of the graphic novel, it's like, oh, RoboCop 2. And then then you think about the scenes in the movie because it's been a while since I've seen this movie, you know, uh, start to finish. And it was a pleasant surprise seeing it again. So probably full disclosure, I'm going to say up front, I really like this movie. (laughs) You know, I I enjoyed it when it came out. I see it gets a lot of uh, flack online for being a shitty sequel and stuff, which I don't personally think it is. But uh, that's my connection to this movie, RoboCop Dose. How about you, Mr. Blake? Well, I mean, I think when we did the first RoboCop, I fully disclosed that I was never really a huge RoboCop fan. Okay. If I recall correctly. Yeah. Um, and I actually always liked this one better yeah. than the first one. Probably until we watched it again to do it on the show. The first one. Yeah, I think revisiting the first one as an adult with like a different sensibility and a little more life experience and maybe recognizing a little more of the satirical stuff that was in it. I think I really appreciated the first RoboCop. I probably appreciate the first RoboCop more now than I did when I was younger. Yeah. Uh, And so I might like that one more than this one now. But I always liked this one better yeah. until probably recently. That's not to say I didn't enjoy it. 
watching this one now, I still like all the things about it that I liked when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, and there's stuff about it that I, I really like a lot. But, you know, with a little more film experience under my belt in terms of viewing and, you know, studying film a little bit more, or at least thinking about film in a more academic way than I did when we were kids. Yeah. I see that there are things that, you know, like ideas that weren't, that that if they were more fully fleshed out, yeah. would make this movie really awesome. Yeah, I agree with you. But there's a lot of stuff where- They just, leave a little like, <laughs> little like breadcrumbs and then they never really fully explore. Yeah, there's just yeah. like these little things where it's- like they touch on things and then they never and pay that, off. And we're talking also too about the theatrical cut. We both read the novelization, the book for this podcast, and then you know we looked at the graphic novel because we still have it. Those still have elements of the original script. So yeah. I wonder if they kept some of that stuff that now there's like you know there's like a uh, rough cut of it or there's an assembly cut. Yeah, there's like a movie. work print, yeah. bootleg floating around uh, that has uh, extra scenes that are like you know. Uh, different takes or tales or heads of other scenes or deleted scenes entirely. So I wonder if we they had those back in, it would be a little more... There's definitely stuff that was like in the original script or in the novelizations or in this work print that I think would satisfy some of the stuff I'm talking about. Yeah. But, uh, you know, with that said... You know, it's like you always say when you, we watch some of these movies where you're expecting it to be. Like more there. More, that there's more to it than yeah. there is. And that's kind of the way I felt about this movie. You're like, oh, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's more, but I think it's from those moments where, you know, and we'll get more into detail with some of this stuff. But there's just, like I said, there's just moments where like, wow, if they, if there was just a payoff for more of that stuff. Yeah. Then. This movie would be really something special, I think. Yeah, as is, I think it it does have things about it that make it special, like especially the uh, stop motion stuff, which was really kind of groundbreaking. Which is interesting because it's groundbreaking, but at the tail end uh, of the yeah of the <laughs> of era. era. Yeah, it's sad because and if that was if this movie was made a couple years later, that could have been all CGI. Even that basic CGI you see of him in the cane in the computer, very lawnmower manish kind of. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's, I feel like this holds up and it's almost more like, uh, uh, relevant today or however you say with the stuff they almost kind of predict and stuff. Uh, and it's a lot of things disturbed me watching it when I was little, like the, the, the child aspects of it, you know, the, the just no, like there's, everybody's like irredeemable in this movie. Like, you know, everybody's just like, I mean, for the most part, like aside from Robocop or, uh, officer Lois, but it's like nobody, you feel like you're like, oh, even like the bag ladies or the homeless people, you're like rooting for it. You know, it's just such a terrible world. And, uh, you know, the first one was very shocking for me and seeing that and that and it played a big role in me growing up because it was like a milestone of me seeing stuff at the time. So when this one came out, it definitely fulfilled those obligations in my own little 10, 11 year old head. Uh, but it's just so just messed up in scenes and just, you know, the insinuations and stuff. And I think, like you said, I think if they fully explored some more of that it could have been maybe regarded as a more of a classic than people because i don't feel like it gets its due maybe in hardcore circles it does of robocop or action sci-fi fans but broadly people don't ever 
you know, I don't think the third one is 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 not really regarded as a as a you know as, at all. Yeah, as a great movie. <laughs> so I don't know. You know, I wonder if two gets lumped into that too, and and I I feel like it shouldn't. I feel like it's a good sequel that uh, definitely you know services the first one. Well, in research for tonight, I mean, I couldn't find anybody that like I found a, a I you know sometimes you find these articles that are written you know now by movie bloggers and stuff and they're always like in defense of yeah something that's considered bad but even even that person's article that i read was not really positive i don't he wasn't really defending the movie <laughs> i don't know why he was put in defense of and then just trashed the movie <laughs> so you agree that you, you weren't finding anybody i couldn't find anybody talking about it in positive yeah so this could be like our i don't know how, what did you yeah, well, you already told me what you thought so this could be like our star wars holiday special kind of a i think there are people that like this movie i mean i i read you know if you look at imdb and stuff people reviewing them you know uh who are like you know, I love this. I think it's a great. I see people like that, but like official circles, like I guess bloggers and up or magazine writers or articles, people just trash. You know, I think maybe there's sometimes a uh, tendency to go along with the crowd or to be afraid to admit. I don't know why this movie would be one of those instances, but uh, and I'm not saying that everybody that writes about it poorly is doing that. Yeah. But the fact that it's very hard to find anybody talking about this movie in a very positive light. <laughs> Which is, I don't know why, I mean, you know, especially if you look at what was coming out at the time, you know, the, the other action movies or whatever you'd put in the same category. I think it, you know, it's going to have the the pitfalls or the tropes that you see of the, that era of action sci-fi horror movie, but... Of course, to, you know, people will send us links to all a bunch of positive... Things I know, for <laughs> I know. There's only so much you know, time. It kind of bugged me about it, though, when I was reading some of this stuff as, uh, you know, as research. You know, some of the points they were making were just points that I didn't agree with. You know, sometimes you read it and you'd be like, oh, well, you yeah, know what, that's, that's, a, good a, good, that's yeah. a good, like, that's true, I but I that like way. it despite of that. Yeah. Or that doesn't bother me. Yeah. But there was stuff about how, uh, and maybe this is a good place to kind of segue into some of this these moments that we were talking about earlier. Let me put my, really... my, my indicator on. <laughs> Going out. We're getting onto the highway. Which is that and – and I do get the point, which I some – even when it came out, some critics criticized it for, which is RoboCop ends with kind of an implication that he's found his humanity and that he's not really RoboCop. What's your name, Murphy? Yeah, that he's Murphy. Yeah, and uh, people complain that this one kind of starts with that he's just RoboCop again. Like he's what happened? Like we, he's not really Murphy anymore. Uh, but then people kind of indicate that that is throughout the whole movie, and they point to things like. I don't know, like the scene with his wife and the scene where the lawyers are talking to him. And to me, those are like his, his wills being broken in those scenes. Well, doesn't, don't they imply, since I have on the mind the novelization, the theatrical cut, and then the graphic novel, don't they imply that like they're going to take away... If he's not declared dead anymore, he's property of OCP, if some, like the lawyers insinuate she may lose his police pension... I don't you know, know if they do that in the in the movie. Okay, then maybe I'm thinking of the book. I felt like there's an insinuation there that he has to go along with what they're saying. One because of the emotional heartache for her. Yeah. But two, also it's like you know you're gonna you're gonna open this can of worms and you, she might lose everything, and then he kind of just takes the high road and 
you know, is the, the, I don't know what you call that, the, you know, it takes bites the bullet in that sense. But I, I see that, you know, I, I think it's there. I mean, well, that's my point yeah. is that it's there. Like I read that into a lot of the scenes. I agree that it could be further fleshed out. Yeah. And that's one of those moments, one of those aspects of the movie that I kind of wish was. Because even in like the deleted scenes in the work print, and sometimes you can find deleted scenes, I don't know if they're on a Blu-ray or whatever, but, you know, there's like a scene where he's um, in the police precinct, and it's a scene where like that uh, heavy, the corrupt cop, cop yeah. takes the drug. And then, because you see in that scene, you see RoboCop walk by. Yeah, it's, it's, pr- it's pretty well done how they do that. He's taking the hit while RoboCop walks across well, the background. Well, in like the work print, and I'm assuming a, a version of the script, and I can't remember if it's in the novelization or not. As he's walking by, he walks past like a, a locker room. Oh, yes. And he walks, and there's like showers, and there's a female police officer showering. And he stops, and he's just kind of like... He kind of just watches her for a second. Like the female form. Yeah. And he, and there's like the sad music in the work print. And then uh, Nancy Allen's character comes out and looks. And then he just, he, he just stops looking and he walks away. And she walks over and sees what he was looking at. And then she turns around. But like with the music and everything. And then when you have that scene with the lawyers uh, and somebody's, maybe it's. Maybe it's when he's talking to the the female doctor, the bad female doctor, Fax. Mm-hmm. Somebody's like, well, what do you, like, what can you, you think you can love her like a man? You know? When he, so, like, that scene, there's, like, little stuff like that that unfortunately got cut out, which, I mean, I, I guess doesn't really do anything for the action. But it makes it more poignant. The scene, but it makes, like, these things are on his mind. Like, he, this struggle of am I machine or am I man? Yeah. Like in my head, I'm still man. Like he's showing up at her house. Like and I like imagine for like a lot of us, like you, like my mom says, you know, in her mind she's all oh, she's forty. Yeah. In my mind, I'm still like twenty. Yeah. Maybe when I'm sixty, then I'll feel like I'm forty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in my mind, you know, I'm still like the age I was when you and I met. Yeah, yeah. And like we're not. <laughs> you know, and that was twenty some years ago. Wow. So, like, in his mind, I imagine, like, in his mind, he's still he's Murphy. Yeah, he's still, he's still Murphy, yeah. He's, he's a person, and there's that struggle, and that's something that I wish was maybe handled a, a little more heavy-handed in the movie. Yeah. Because I think that's the most interesting thing for me about the character of RoboCop, and a lot of that's hinted about in the movie, and I'm sure we talked about that when we did it. The first movie. Yeah. When we did it on the show. Because you do have this, like, there's this Frankenstein aspect of science. You know, you never thought, you always so worried about whether you could do it. You never stopped to think whether you should do it. Yeah. And that there's this guy trapped in this machine. You know, it's like a horrible nightmare in some ways. I mean, in ways it's like. You know the story that that the Metallica song one oh, yeah. is based on. Where he's guy, he's hitting what's he SOS over and over. It's saying kill me over and over <laughs> again with his knee with his neck. Which for anybody that's not familiar with, it's about a that song's about, and I think it's about a real guy. If Johnny got his gun. I think is called the. They use clips from the movie with, with Jason Robarts. You know, and it, yeah, it's about a guy in World War One who stepped on a mine or something, and and he was deaf, blind. Or, or, or and dis- lost his limbs. Yeah. And so he was just like this body 
he, and, and he couldn't it, see or hear anything. So he's he's stuck in his head on a gurney or on a thing, and then you know he can't feel. I mean, I, I guess he would have maybe sensation, but at some point, and that's the the video. Yeah, you see him like he's he's doing SOS with his neck. You know, get help me because you're stuck in your freaking mind. And I would imagine that for Murphy, like there's you know obviously not that, but he can't feel. No. You know, and that in his head, like he has these. Like memories he, of being a man. Like is he like yeah like does he he doesn't even have emotions so it's like like he can't like if someone touches his face you know you don't even know where stuff ends and then we had this I asked you the last podcast we did on this but I don't remember I've always interpreted that it, his face is I always thought it was just him is it is it his skin pulled over or, or, or a cyborg or is it what's left of him on the well he indicates that it's that it's just a rubber mask. In this, when he tells her to touch it. Yeah, but I thought he just meant it. He was just saying that to her. Like, I always, because, you know, you see the scar of the bullet that yeah. went in. I always thought that for some reason that it was, like, that was what was left of him. And then whatever else is they put formed it. And then when we did this podcast, I thought you said, no, it's, they just, you know, skinned him and put that to make him look. And I was like, oh, crap. Yeah. You know, so I don't, I, I guess it's, it's you know. It's here doesn't or there. Doesn't really matter. But. Yeah, but for me, it was a realization. Like, my God, it's not even, like, that's not even. It certainly does appear that way. Yeah. Like I mean, just, and I guess if even if it was his skin, when she touches it and she's like, it's cold, it's because there's no blood running through it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and it's what would make this I, these things that aren't fully fleshed out in terms of his humanity and his inner struggle of being human or or, or, or machine is what may, would make when he gets reprogrammed like more tragic because it's like then she really is just like she strips away his humanity yeah and now he is just a machine which is kind of the arc because then at the end of it is the last line of the movie is like you know we're only human you know so it's like uh i feel like there is there is a journey there where he's looking for the he found his individualism in the first movie movie yeah and then by the second one you have (laughs) the ocp which i think is a brilliant subplot well, on a lot of levels but the the plot of uh which is indicated heavily in the novelization that OCP is purposely not updating his his like operating system because they think he's out of date he's yesterday's model because they want to introduce newer models that maybe there are like ed 209s or they're a little more kind of uh you know they don't have to worry about all the shit that's going down with his one robocop so because of them not uh updating him he's having issues and then maybe he's fighting the bureaucracy, but also in his head is maybe he's becoming more of, you know, OCP wants him to be property. They don't want him to be an individual because they want to control him. Yeah. And then there's like the scene where he's confronted about like, look, you've been stalking your wife. (laughs) What the fuck? You know, what do you think that does to her? And, you know, there's all these moments where they're like, well, are you, you know, are you Murphy or are you RoboCop? (laughs) And then he just kind of like, he's like, fine. Like I'm RoboCop. It's him like, yeah, coming to terms with, you know, like, I can't, well, I can't like, I can't live the golden years. <laughs> like, they're right. Like, what can I be to her? Yeah. If she's being tortured by this, I'll just be like, they're breaking, basically, they're breaking his spirit. Yeah. And I think, like, that stuff is, to me, clear. Yeah. In the movie. You know, when she comes, like, he tells her that to, you know, it's like when. George Henderson like punches Harry in the face. He's like, "Oh, we don't want you." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that whole walk away. That's what he's basically doing. He's just like, 
you know, they did this to honor him. I'm not your husband. Like, bye. I will bother you anymore. You know, that's tearful stuff. Yeah, I know. And I like to me that stuff is there. Yeah, I mean, it's not spoon fed to you, but it's certainly there. I mean, and I wish that and I wish that there was more of it. Yeah, because it would take what I think is a pretty interesting story and and an interesting reflection of what was happening with the anti drug campaigns in the 80s and all that stuff um very topical at that time and still and a lot of it is still topical today but it would give that movie even more soul through it yeah instead of just like this action crime movie yeah it's there but that's one of those instances where it's something that i wish there was more of like it's i feel like they took you know they took it they took the ball only so far but they never Cross the they never crossed into the end zone. Really. Yeah, yeah. They got to like the five yard line, but they never made it over. They just never. Maybe they got to like the twenty. And then, <laughs> like yeah, they're just like okay. But like that, like I said, it's what makes him being reprogrammed to be like the, uh, you know, the the Mister Rogers version of RoboCop even more tragic. Yeah, you know, it's like they are they've stripped away Murphy's soul, and now he is just this machine. Um, but he's in there still because then he goes and electrocutes himself to reboot himself to get rid of all that programming. So yeah. it's like he's in there, but unable to express or control what he's doing. Yeah. And he has to do that, like actually give himself like But even ECT. all that's very done very quickly. You know, yeah. it's like, I don't know. Following. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, well, you know, if he got a huge jolt of electricity, then we could rebuild and he just like walks up and <laughs> leaves. And Why? Out. Where is he going? I don't know. What have we implied? <laughs> So there are things about it that are very convenient. Yeah. In terms of the screenwriting and the, and the way and the execution. Well, I felt like they a lot of it seems like they wanted to stay under like a running time almost. So that's why they're just moving it very quickly. You know, like a lot of this stuff, like you're saying, they just they'll they'll touch on it, but they're not long enough there to really make any kind of point because they're trying to hit beats or they're trying to make it into something that maybe the studio wanted at the time. You know, I mean, they the, like the the Verhoeven commercial satiristic. Uh, aspects that you see a lot in the first one that he doesn't come back to this because I guess he's the same year he's doing Total Recall, which has a lot of that, but they keep some of it here. And, you know, we start the movie with the John Glover uh, car alarm thing, which was huge in the 80s and 90s, getting your, you know, the club or the car alarm. And then you, ha- and then, you know, you have like a news report with, you know, Le- uh, what's her name? Liza Gibbons comes back and the other guy from the first movie. And then it takes till about halfway, maybe what, the, into the, the second act of the movie, or maybe going into the third, where you get the commercial again, and that's like the sunblock yeah. commercial. Which so I like that they still kept it and peppered those in, not as prevalent as yeah. like you know Verhoeven did, but you're still getting this overall view of how messed up this world is. I like the one where the guy's like, "I lost the account." And then oh. comes, I mean, I like it because like in a, I can see things going that way. Oh like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> entertainment going that way. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the view on the sunblock is part of like, we're destroying the ozone. Yeah. You know, now that the ozone's gone, you can still go out in the sun. Sunblock 5,000. <laughs> you know, that's the, that girl is in uh, uh, summer school. Okay. And oh. I think she was a lot of vagina in one of the Austin Powers movies. Oh, yeah. Okay. Also the girl in that commercial. Um, but I, I wish there was more of it. Like I, I like the John Glover one, of course, because John Glover's in it. But then the one where the guy kills himself because he lost it—that one I felt like was like the most poignant 
for irrelevant. Yeah, the most relevant and disturbing. Yeah, and you can like. Well, a lot of it's going this way. I mean, even if you don't even look at like society, you look at just the tolerance. Where for me, being little, that the young kid in this was so messed up. Him being a, uh, you know, like a, what is he, a ten or twelve year old, and he's like a psychopath, like kill, you know, and then. Now it like and then the, the movie got a lot of criticism from like you know uh, big you know uh, film critics about that, but nowadays I think that's nothing. You know, if you show that in a, in a movie, people are like oh you know like I feel like we're so kind of just desensitized to certain things, where uh, you know the whole Tom Noonan thing, him being almost like a cult leader that believes his own. He's you know he's tripping balls on what on the nuke and he wants the whole world. And I feel like in the novelization, he's a little more like. Um, uh, you feel like that he's, he he thinks that this is going to be like the the uh, society's or the world's salvation is to nuke. It's going to transcend us into this. So I feel like he does feel like he's like a Jesus or like a you know a Christ type figure. Well, there's there's like that there's that which is interesting because you get a little bit of that like that cult religious thing. But it's also he's also like made nuke its own corporation kind of yeah because drugs are not the thing where, like, someone's the face of cocaine or the face of ecstasy. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, he's somehow cornered the market and nobody is challenging him for it. But then he's like, and people will have nuke for every, like, occasion. And that's kind of what we have now. Yeah, but it's also, you know, like, but it's also a lot kind of like what we... When we did Blade Runner, when you read the book, oh yeah, and with the you uh, can set your mood organ, and you could you could set like uh, what mood you want today. It's synthetic. Where I want to wake up happy and wanting to watch TV, or I want to wake up hungry, or you know, you know, he's basically there's a short scene which has a cameo by Frank Miller in that scene, where right. he's basically saying like people can have nuke for this, they can have nuke that does that, and they're making like this various brands of nuke so that it can fulfill everybody. People can be on it all the time for whatever function they need it for. Yeah. And so it has like a very corporate So it's not like crack business. where it's like you're smoking it in like a you know in like a shooting gallery in some tenement. It's you're at, or you know you're shooting up. It's more like uh it's almost like something that's prescribed to you, you know. It's like almost like a medic you know you're you're me- yourself medicating but still being able to I guess to a certain extent be productive or be or, or contribute or be a part of society. Yeah, I just thought it was an interesting juxtaposition, which, again, is something that I think they could have played with more. Yeah. You know, because it's an interesting juxtaposition to have Kane and his nuke empire versus the old man. And the and OCP. It, and the OCP. And really, those seem to be, at this point in, Detroit, in Detroit's history, like the two main rival businesses, the two yeah. main corporations <laughs> that are running the, 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 the city are this drug business and then this big corporation that is like basically buying and privatizing a city yeah yeah and they they, they almost are the, the the step in for i guess the motor city or whatever you know all the, the the car things at the time um if for me when i saw the first movie and they make uh um what's his name from the first one uh, uh what the hell's his name uh the guy who who ends up being the villain yeah. and then he you know when the, when he RoboCop saves him, saves the old man, and you know what's your name? I always thought like, oh, it's a redeeming the the old, you know he isn't as bad as you would you know you would think he'd be. Kind of like we were talking last week with John Glover's character from Gremlins Two, but 
when he comes back in the second one with a vengeance and he's so bad to me, I was like, what, you know, as a, this is me as a kid. I was like, what happened to him? Like, why is he, you know, why is he such a, uh, you know, such a, a, a sleazeball or scumbag? And they kind of held back in the movie version because in the novelization, there's a scene, you know, when they're, when they're in the jacuzzi and John, when Johnson comes in, Johnson, you know, says something and she comes and sits into the thing with him in the book. He says like, now get out of here, boy. And he likes, makes it even like a racial Kind of like the 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 novelization, the author kind of put put a lot of his personal kind of it seems like uh, you know uh, points on on certain aspects of it. But he's such a cold hearted bastard. Even then, with, with this movie, it was such a startling turn. I was like, oh, what? you know, the whole time I was like, oh no, you know. And then you don't know after this movie what happens to him because he's not in the third one. And you know, I mean, in reality, they might have not just ask, you know wanted to have him in it again, but you know, who knows after this disaster, the second one, what, what happened to his character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, I mean, know. it is kind of like, you know, it's one of those things where they complain that like RoboCop in the beginning of RoboCop 2 seems to have lost that humanity that he gained at the end of RoboCop in a way like the old man has, I don't know, like you're right. Because you, by the end of Ro- the first RoboCop, I mean, he's not the bad guy of that movie. Kind of seems redeemable. Like he has now in RoboCop 2 has taken over that role like has somehow absorbed all the qualities that that guy had the bad guy yeah i forget his name <laughs> sorry no i i know and of course this is uh this is the fourth this is the fourth movie that we've had on the, we've done on the show with dan o'hurley who yes the old man yeah and we've had his son on the show <laughs> as well i think yeah so yeah, I don't know how many movies he made, but we're gonna do them all. Connell Cochran, yeah, Halloween three. He plays the. He's in Last Starfighter. Yep, and of course RoboCop, and now RoboCop two, RoboCop two. And his son was in Willow. We did Willow. Uh, kicked off the year with Willow, and then uh, we re- referenced him like two weeks ago for for uh, what did you Assault on Precinct thirteen? Because we we're talking about Death Wish three. Because his son's the back scary, scary bad guy in Death Wish three. Um, but you know something that you were talking about in the last episode, which is you know, the the what's the name of the the company in uh, in Gremlins two. Um. Well, anyway, like oh, you mean Clamp Clamp, clamp, clamp yeah. the Clamp building in cl- yeah. I feel like I feel like you know obviously Gremlins two way wackier than this movie yeah but also both these robocop movies and and full disclosure i never i've actually never seen the third one i've never seen the third one all the way through because it just i don't know i tried to watch it on regular television on a trip when i was visiting dave hastings brothers hastings (laughs) of the brothers hastings who guest on guest uh, guested on our silver bullet episode and we tried to watch it on TV, and we went, like, two commercial breaks before, like, and there was still no RoboCop. Like, RoboCop hadn't shown up yet. And we're like, screw this movie. <laughs> like, we had, like, we're like, Fred Decker, I love you, but if you're going to have a movie called RoboCop, you got to put RoboCop in the first scene. Yeah, it's like that. And so we never, we may, maybe, maybe with the commercials, we got, like, a half hour in. So... Uh, probably without commercials, it would have been like t- maybe 20 minutes into the movie. And there was still, my recollection was, there was still no RoboCop, and so we jumped ship. Yeah. I'd still like to see it, though, because, I well, mean, it's, I like it's the neighborhoods. Decker. It's, it's, what's her face? Um, uh, Pounder. 
uh, you know, the girl who's from... Uh, Pounder. I barely know her. <laughs> no, that's her name. Her name is like C.B. Pounder. I forget her, her, her name. She's in... Uh, she was on The Shield, and she's a great African-American actress, but she is one of the head of... Because the neighborhoods are revolting against OCP, because I guess they must... You know, they buy stuff. And Yeah, I mean, I gathered that there was like a rebellious And there's thing. like a... There's like, like, a, a, like a, a demolition man, underground rebellion. Yeah, and he's got like a jetpack, and then he fights like the, I think, a robotic samurai. There's not a clear-cut to my recollection uh like a ed 209 kind of a villain or a robocop 2 kind of a villain like when i first saw robocop 2 i was really upset because like ed 209's hardly in it like i i the whole i loved ed 209 as the heavy you know the maximilian or whatever you want to call him in the first movie you know why can't you have him and you know you do get a shot of him like in the commercial where he if his, his foot's down the manhole in the news and they're trying to like back a tow truck up to try to get him out you know uh and it would always frighten me even going to watch this viewing is those when they're looking at the videos of the potential new RoboCop 2s and those guys killing one guy kills himself one guy shoots everybody and kills himself one guy rips his fucking helmet and face off you see his skull terrified me well I mean I think this scene deserves like a little bit of attention because I'd imagine for most people who were our age when we saw it like that is for me anyway and I, and, and for you also like one of the most memorable things about this movie was that oh, you, little sequence because it was so messed up. There's a lot of things for me that were messed up in this movie. I mean, what I was saying about Gremlins 2 and this versus, you know, this is this does and the first one does. The first RoboCop does also. Like that there's like a heightened reality that I think goes along with like the satirical aspect of what they're trying to do. I mean, there is like a a slight cartoonish aspect to the movie nowhere nearly as much as gremlins 2 <laughs> yeah let's make that distinction right now <laughs> but i think in terms of like double if you're going to do double features like i think these are two great movies to do back to back well you know what it is is if you have like younger siblings so I'm, uh, there i go thinking of myself as a kid it's like you have like the little kid watch gremlins 2 with you like okay pack them off to bed because we're gonna watch <laughs> something really fucked up now <laughs> You want to see something really scary, and you pop this in. I mean, I still think Gremlins Two is far more disturbing to me than this. Oh, movie. really? Okay, yeah. <laughs> you hold by that. But uh, you know, considering they both came out in the same year, they're both sequels to like mid '80s, you know, popular uh, uh, franchises. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're not very franchise because this is just the second one. But yeah, like uh, you know, titles, movies that came out at that time, and. Um, so there, there actually, there's a lot in common. Well, it's like, I don't know if you remember, Sunday mornings, they used to have a block of cartoons on. It wasn't like USA Cartoon Express, but it was some sort of weird, and it was one of those things where all I remembered, it was on Sunday mornings, so I would surf the channels till I found it, and I didn't know what time it was on or whatever. And it was like a Spider-Man it had a RoboCop show. These are cartoons, and it had something else. And I used to always want to watch the RoboCop show. And it's like you think of like fucked up premises. I th I'm sure there's blog postings online of like you know mo shows, fucked up movies they made cartoons out of. You know Rambo. You know, and uh, you know this was one of them. And it's like if you watch the beginning of that. It's so funny, like, you know, uh, how they have to, in the credits, tell you how he became RoboCop. Like, after a horrible accident where he was killed. And you see, like, people <laughs> run out and, like, shoot him, you know. And then he's like, he's turned into a, you know. But then they have to try to dumb it down. It's so funny. So they did make a cartoon out of it. They had a toy line. Yeah. Uh, I assume they had a toy line for the first RoboCop because I did have a lot of RoboCop 
I had a couple RoboCop cap toys, and then by RoboCop three coming out, I had like a RoboCop three that talked when you push the middle and that kind of a thing. Um, but it was kind of they were like it's like Gremlins, you know. Gremlins had a lot of there was Mogwai this Gremlins that, even though there was only one movie. So I feel like they were kind of highlights of that era. Yeah. You know? Well, this was that was a look. I mean, somebody I think commented with Terminator two that like toy you know, on social media for the, our episode on Terminator 2. Like, oh, yeah, toys for R-rated movies. But there were toys for Everything. things that were not kids. I mean, there was, there were over-the-top figures and uh, an arm wrestling thing. Yeah. I remember seeing toys for V. Yeah. <laughs> you know, sure. and that was certainly wasn't. I mean, it was on network television, so kids <laughs> could watch it. And I'm sure many of us watched it with our parents. Well, we like, just start making, there was toys for Psycho. Remember with Norman <laughs> Bates dressed up as a woman? Well, I mean, it would have to be 80s related. Yeah. But uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the, 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 the new next generation. <laughs> my point was only that, like. Back then, they'd make toys for anything. But like Gremlins 2. This movie, I feel like, has and like Planet of the Apes. They made toys for freaking Planet of the Apes, and that's certainly not a kids' movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, like you think of you go down the line of. Uh, I'm sure there's real, some real stellar examples if we could have thought right now of just movies that you not like. You know, like Rambo. They kind of by the second one, they're appealing to the '80s kids. You know, they had posters and stuff, but there's you know, I mean, they didn't have Cobra toys, <laughs> but it's like you know, they, they, there was certainly. An era where, you know, if we could turn it into a toy or cartoon franchise or comic book, we're going to do it. Yeah. You know, and we're going to market the fuck out of this. And people are, sure, okay, we're going to make a toy out of that. Sure, you know. But part of, like, this heightened reality that I was talking about, I think it gets played out really kind of perfectly in this the scene that you brought up, which is, like, we're seeing the test Oh, okay. They're showing the old man. Which like, also the reminds me of Rocketeer when they're like, "We somebody we lost somebody oh. smuggled this." And they show those Nazi the Nazi <laughs> cartoon. They made Hitler made a cartoon. Of, like, but first, you see like the testings of like their various oh, rocket yeah. packs not working. Yeah, blowing up on the uh, tarmac. Which yeah. was after this, so maybe they kind of took that. Like maybe they were inspired by this for yeah. that. Uh, I kind of remember there being more than just two examples. I do too. Uh, and I, you know, I, I don't remember when we, we did the Rocketeer post for one of our, I think, anniversaries, but I don't remember if, if the, that was actual footage of like the V1 rockets blowing up on like the Nazi like tarmacs or if they just, they must have recreated stuff because they had a guy, I guess now, you know, in a jetpack. But like certain like, like these were just so, and you know, now it's weird because, you know, your eye gets educated with the times where when I watch it now, you can kind of tell what's stop motion or what's where the effect is, where, yeah. where the, when I was watching it back then, I couldn't, you know, I mean, maybe the Ed 209 in the first movie a little bit, but certainly like the scenes in this movie with with the RoboCop 2 rope cyborg and then those these guys, like I can't tell. This all looks real to me. So even in my mind watching it, it's so much more gorier my memory of it than it actually seeing what it was, you know, with the guy's face in his, in the head. And then the other guy ripping his head off, you see his skull and him shooting people. It's just, it's, and then, you know, they, they look stupid anyway, like inherently, like how are they going to actually function in a practical <laughs> world? Some of them like compared to a RoboCop or an Ed 209, yeah. but it was just, it's just so it's, it's like this whole, like, you know, when I was that age, uh, you know, uh, to, for full disclosure, I was getting into women, you know, girl, I was finding ladies, girls hot. So like seeing this hot ass girl, that's the bad guy. And then this little boy that was kind of my age, having this control over her with the nuke and all, you know, my mind was running up the wall about uh, the endless possibility because I was a little horn dog. So it's like, there was so much weird 
terrible, uh, you know, just uh, stuff going on in this movie. Just, just like you know, I think in some ways, like, this like mo- I think in some ways, like this movie subversive. was kind of made for our generation. Yeah, like I can't imagine they knew kids would be watching it. It wouldn't. I can't imagine it appealing to adults of that time, like our parents, in the same way that we related to it. You know, maybe they were relating more to the old man trying to take over the city, like the more corporate aspects of it. But like we were being force fed, like the say no to drugs. This is your dr- brain. This is your brain on drugs. Yeah. Any questions? There was this huge campaign in the 80s sure. to, to get kids away from drugs. And I, and I think just like, say no to Nancy Reagan shit or, you know, all that. Yeah. yeah, yeah like, the whole. Yeah. The whole thing. Yeah. It's and like so, mothers against drug driving and all that. Yeah. And so, like, I feel like that aspect of the story is very much geared towards us and the generation, you know, like my older brother. Yeah, yeah. You know, but like, you know, people within a certain like eight years of our age, you know, yeah. four years older and four years younger than us. Like that aspect of the story totally does, I think, play was directed almost directly to us. And like you're saying with the I forget the character's name, the kid. The oh, ki- uh Hob? Yeah, like that character obviously, you know, uh uh, a store being robbed by Little League, a Little League team. Another one that's so, to this day, still disturbs me. It's like the breakdown of the more, you know, it's just, I see, this is getting into personal qualms about life, but it's like, you know, you got to think that like this, this, this coach is bringing, you know, all and all these, you know, it, it's the breakdown of society that upset. This is, goes back to why I hate the torture porn. I don't hate, but I don't, I, thoroughly dislike torture prone movies or those home invasion movies because this kind of thing happens so it's like this is you could totally see now with people you know live streaming themselves like like that knockout game people knocking people out for fun like and everyone's like you know there's like the, the guy taping them rooting for it or people abusing animals like i see like this is that this could happen you know so that whole thing where the, this little league coach is taking his entire team and none of them seem reluctant everyone <laughs> seemed you know they're they're so into it yeah, there's, not, there's not like the one kid who's like off to the side like, like this is no good idea they're all this. into it they're like hit our you know they're having the girls not hitting hard enough you know it's like they're beating the old man up they're grabbing stuff it's just like so it's so disturbing to me <laughs> you know it goes back to like you know that having the, the young kid in here the one of the heavies be this like lovable like good looking kid like you know he looks like a you know he's he's you know gonna grow up to be a really handsome young boy or whatever yeah. and he's carrying this little suitcase gun that's actually a real gun that he's able to just open up in a minute and it looks like either a boombox or a lunchbox and he's able to take out freaking 100 people. It's crazy. <laughs> well, before I, something that just occurred to me that was related to what you're saying about the scene where they're testing the new RoboCop tools. Yeah. And uh, to me, watching it now, and I, I would imagine as a kid, I, I did pick up on it. You were saying as a kid, like this, it just seemed real to, to you. To me, like the fact that it is stop motion... Something about the quality of stop motion and having it do that seems even more disturbing. Cr- disturbing to me. Yeah. Now, like looking at it, like one because you know you and I have talked about on previous things where there's stop motion. Like there we have a certain kind of nostalgia, like an affinity for, for that, that look. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. The way they move. Yeah. Things don't move like that anymore. Like a, the Ray Harryhausen kind of. A, yeah, yeah. So when you combine that with like the kind of the grotesqueness and of what and the horror of like the psychological horror of these minds not being able to 
you know, uh, adapt inside these robotic bodies and, and choosing death instead, like that's horrifying. Um, one of the reviews or, or post review, one of the things that I read in relation to, to for tonight that was complaining about this movie was saying that, you know, th- that Detroit wasn't in this movie isn't portrayed as being like, uh, you know, like in, in mayhem of like lawless and stuff. And I just I like I totally disagree with with that. I mean, I think with a budget and the limitation of effects and like the size of this movie, you couldn't go balls to the wall with yeah. that aspect where it's like every building's burning, you know, there's just you know but you the kid the kids robbing the store. Well the opening scene, that whole sequence with the old lady uh, you know, the, the car almost hits her, knocks her shit over, the guy goes to help her, grabs her shit. He then beats they, her, <laughs> runs away. The hookers then start beating the crap out of him, and then they yeah, start robbing the like gun I, store. Like it, it establishes the world right there. I mean, the moments are there. I mean, it's not. There's not like an abundance of it happening. That Spanish guy that that is in. It, it, he's helping robbing the store with that one eye. That he's like <laughs> kind of almost up there with what's his face that you met um, from Die Hard and Big Trouble in Little China. You know, oh, uh, Al Leong. Yeah, he's like almost to that level because that guy around that time was in a whole crap. He's almost like that thin guy that's in Hard to Kill with all the tattoos, the Puerto Rican or Hispanic guy that was in a whole bunch of stuff because he fits a demographic, yeah. almost like a Danny Trejo, where it's like that whole the whole opening, it sets the world. And it's also, uh, I had forgotten since it's been so long I'd seen this, where uh, I don't know how people feel about Joel Schumacher's Batman and Robin, I think it is, but that whole idea of them using the their the spray paint graffiti to be like uh, fluorescent black light stuff. Like, you know, that played a big effect, almost too cartoonish, too comic book for me for the Batman and Robin movie. Where here, when they use it, I find it very effective. Like, it's almost scary. Like, I feel like maybe that's a played out now. You know, I mean, I don't know how many movies. It's only been a two movies I can cite. <laughs> but it's like, you know, I find that all of the whole, f- the, the setting up of the future is very effective, you know. And, it, and I think Robocop looks sleek. You know, you have the same... Uh, entrance where you see the, you know it, it's 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 very effective you know the entrance of him and then in RoboCop two later on where you you see like the first time you see RoboCop two under the when the, the this you know he gets out of the Night Rider semi you know the semi drives up and then you see his foot get out the back always freaky to me as a yeah. kid the whole I mean and he in this viewing especially RoboCop two is terrifying with the floodlights and the, he's got the uh, mini gun on his arm like uh, Megatron has the blaster. Uh, and, you know, they said that they tried to design him to kind of look like a knight mixed kind of like, you know, they, they were thinking maybe have him look a little human at first. But then they said, no, you know, we want to have it to be, you know, kind of a, a vastly different than uh, what's his face yeah. than RoboCops. So they made him like kind of like a Swiss Army knife, kind of like a knight with his head, you know. But also built like a bodybuilder. Yeah, like exactly. Jack, you know, and it's just I mean, and I never even realized I never put it together that they never in my head when I saw this movie that, that they made a robot that they were walking around and and I, it didn't occur to me until you know thinking it through like oh I guess yeah it would have been much harder to actually have this full scale like you know Stan Winston esque kind of robot walking around they just built the torso and head which was like eight or nine hundred pounds that they had like controlling like puppets kind of like uh, Stan Winston did with Terminator Two Stan Winston didn't do the effects for this movie but. Uh, he, he, RoboCop 2 is just terrifying to me when he comes in and kills everybody and it's I mean it's I don't it's like the the plot kind of sells itself with the with the corruption of the 80 you know people this is you know 
people were railing against the Reagan administration and people, you know, were taking a stand. People didn't like what was going on, this or that, whatever your politics are. This is certainly talking about the, the era of that and uh, to have the big evil corporation well, yeah, I mean, privatizing. It's coming out of the same, was it like 88? Was They Live? 87. 87. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. like, you know, this movie started being written and stuff around 87, 88. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it like that was the zeitgeist at yeah. the time. Was yeah. What was going on. And uh, certainly in the novelization, too, the novelist, he he brings up, he makes a sly comment like, and then in the 80s, a B, B movie actor became president. Everything went downhill. Like, you could kind of see where his political leanings lie. And it's just funny because it's it's all, I mean, even to, to the, to, to like, uh, the, the line that they say, uh, make America mean something again, which is very funny to today. You know, I mean, that's not, a, like I said, a, any kind of uh, a commentary on it, either one of them, but it's so relevant to, to, to what we're now with this stuff. And then you have... Uh, well, that was also a slogan that Reagan used. Yeah. Make, oh, yeah. Make, make America make great. great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was... That's back going back. There's pictures from, yeah, from his, from his re-election time. Uh, so it's just, it's just so funny... For me, it's just it's a great idea that the whole reason they can't. I mean, Murphy was a, uh, you know, was like the, the one ab- abnormality they can find that kind of survived the transition to to, to become cyborg, and then the scene we see with these co- you can't get any of the human part of it is the reason why it's failing the reason why they can't get this this thing to be successful. So the idea is if they get um, Kane. Who's going to be addicted to the nuke, and they're going to put him into this body that, and then this is the idea of him. They can control him through his addiction. Yeah, and then have him go out and do things, and I don't know, you know. Like, again, it's like who thought this was going to be a good idea, and then it's just so funny that then they send him out, and then there's this scene when you first see him, he's, and then the, the this happened in 2013. Detroit went bankrupt; they owed like a, a gazillion, uh, you know, I don't, I forget what the figure is, and they, you know, they went into uh, it's a shockingly low amount of money in this movie. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, it's 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 funny in this movie. It's like it's only twenty seven. Well, I know, but at the time, it's like thirty something million dollars. Yeah, it's in in this movie. I think it's um, they owe thirty seven million. And then in the next scene, when we just talked about the RoboCop things, they talk about we blew ninety million in Robo research. So it's like, you know, it's the OCP is blowing ninety million just trying to figure out RoboCop two trials, and this and the city of Detroit needs uh, a mere thirty seven million. And like we said, it actually happened in two thousand thirteen. And then I know. A lot of downtown, which was rotting, which is a there's a there was a great show, Low Winter Sun, that I loved. That was only did one season on AMC, and then it follows was shot in Detroit, and it has such great. A lot of those buildings and stuff almost play a character. Those well, dilapidated. Escape from New York was shot in Detroit. <laughs> was it? I thought it was East St. Louis. Oh, maybe you're right. For some reason, I thought it was like a. It's the same. <laughs> close enough. It's close enough. St. Louis, the East St. Louis, but it's like when. This went bankrupt. A lot of you had a lot of like just like buildings just rotting downtown. So you had like a lot of Japanese, a lot of investors coming in from overseas, buying this stuff up because at some point this stuff's going to come back, you know. And it was what was happening in the seventies, kind of with uh, with New York City. Well, you know, a lot of Japanese investors bought Rockefeller Center, and that's why they were looking to tear down Grand Central at one point because they were going to put up the you know a big bunch of condos. So it's just, and then the idea is that they want to stop updating RoboCop because they want to get somebody more. 
you know, in line with their with what they're doing. So you have RoboCop RoboCop two, and I always thought too with the backlash, you know, nowadays with 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 the the tension between say people in in the police department, it was always in the back of my head what would happen. God forbid if the if the police were like, well, screw you, we're we're, we're gonna strike. You know, it's I mean, I mean, it sounds like an absurd idea. And, you know, whatever you, your personal experience is with the police department is. But when anytime you need something, you call 911, you're calling the police to come to help you out. So can you imagine a situation like this movie where, you know, the police are on strike, you know, and we learn in this movie that it's only one year from RoboCop 1. So in a in 12 months time, this is where we've gotten where, you know, they're, they're not updating RoboCop. RoboCop's updates aren't going through for with, with his Microsoft, you know, his systems, <laughs> his Windows. Um, so it's just insane. So I find all this stuff brilliant that it kind of falls into place and it's disguised almost as this, for the lack of a better term, like shitty or, or exploitative 80s, you know, roid guy movie you know it's yeah, like yeah. you know so okay there's a lot of things i want to break a lot, <laughs> yeah, of, a lot of things lot, we got to dissect here a lot of <laughs> a lot of aspects of that diatribe i mean i want to talk about first um like has a better memory than me so he's able to just take the, notes in his head the design of the of robocop 2 yeah RoboCop 2 robot so apparently i was watching an interview with phil tippett and yeah. phil tippett is uh, a master of of stop motion animation and he worked on the star Wars movies and he worked on Jurassic park. And we talk a lot about him in our Jurassic park episode because he was actually going to do them as stop motion. They were dinosaurs, the dinosaurs. And then eventually, uh, Dennis Murin said, well, we can do them in the computer, but Phil Tippett still worked on them just in case it didn't look you know. good. Yeah. But he also, I think they made like a, they made maquettes where he could animate them and the computer could, yeah. Pick so he up. was doing the performance through the like almost like the puppet. And then it was being digitized into the computer. Yeah. So he kind of directs the stop motion animation parts of this movie and I and I believe the first movie as well. And he was talking about how this uh I guess a puppet engineer, Craig Hayes, I think his name is, who uh he designed the RoboCop two robot, mm-hmm. and he also designed. Mm-hmm. Ed, he also designed Ed two hundred nine, and so apparently, according to Phil Tippett, what happened with Ed two hundred nine was the minute the movie was done, like these bootleg vinyl models of Ed two hundred nine started being made in like Japan. I had one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this really upset Craig Hayes because yeah. the design was so simple that it was easy to knock off. There's a video somewhere, which is fascinating. You can YouTube it where this uh, hardcore RoboCop, I don't know what you call them, RoboCop heads, they design, you know, there's kids smarter than me out there. Well, I'm not smart at all. But there's these geniuses in their apartment. They made a RoboCop 2. Have you seen that? No. It's a video where they made a functional out of 3D printing. That you can get into it and be a functional RoboCop. Uh, I'm sorry, Ed 209. Yeah, and it's amazing because these guys make a puppet that's you know full size. It's Ed two hundred nine. Some guys walking around in it, but it's all so it's a, yeah. So it's it's that's how so easy. So he it was is. so upset that Ed two hundred nine was so simple that it could get knocked off when he came and who wanted to do the design for Robo for RoboCop two, the Kane robot. He said, "I want to make something that's like so complicated <laughs> that it's going to be really hard to be ripped off." And so Phil Tippett says that the that the Kane robot, the RoboCop two. Uh, puppet the maquette for the stop animation is probably the most sophisticated maquette ever created for a movie yeah so like that's what we're dealing with in terms of uh 
you know, like how pioneering this movie was for in 1990 when we're coming on the tail end of when this technology uh, for special effects is being used. And because of the that deadlines. That's really like, this is really at the height of it. And because of the deadlines, they had what, like eight crews running around the clock to. Yeah, it's like people doing all different scenes. So miniature a, guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So they, had all these, they had a couple of these, they had a handful of these maquettes made. These uh, stop animation puppets, and uh, you know, because most of the time there's a metal armature underneath rubber, and that's what you see, like in, uh, you know, uh, Mighty Joe Young and uh, Ray Harryhausen stuff. And, but in this case, it's a robot, so they had to design it so that the armature is actually the thing. Yeah, okay. Because it's a metal armature, like so, a skeleton underneath. Yeah. yeah. So like, it's. They had to design it so basically so that the robot itself was functional in terms of the way it moved. Yeah. Which I thought was really interesting. And then the idea of having it be shaped that way, top heavy, was because they wanted it to have like this very muscular, intimidating bodybuilder presence. So that's that thing. What else What else did you talk about? Oh, so in terms of the script. The storyline of them reasoning behind RoboCop 2 and the De- Detroit and, you know, the f- future predictions. Um, just in terms of, like, background script, apparently right when the movie came out, it was an instant success, which we talked about with Gremlins 2 also, which is like a minute Gremlins 2 was a success. They went to Joe Dante and said, make another one. And Joe Dante said, I don't want to make another one. When the first Gremlins came yeah, out. Yeah, the first one. Yeah, they were like, let's make a sequel. And so then various versions of a Gremlins 2 went into development and none of them got made until they were like, to Joe Dante, come come back. We can You can do whatever you want. Baby, come back. So this, a similar thing happened here. Which is they went back to the original writers, uh, which is Newmeyer and um, Miner, and they said, "Write us another RoboCop." And so they started Edward Newmeyer and Michael Miner. They wrote a uh, first draft called Ro- uh, RoboCop Corporate Wars, and before they had a chance to do a second draft the writers guild went on strike as they always do <laughs> and so they were like well we can't work on it anymore and you know the studios was were mad like what <laughs> and uh was it newmeyer yeah newmeyer and miner he had newmeyer had suggested that they talk to frank miller for a different project apparently allegedly and so when they wouldn't do it, because I don't think Miller had ever, he was a comic book writer, so he had never written a, a movie before, so he was not part of the Writers Guild. Yeah, he had written for a comic book, The Dark Knight Returns, Batman Year One, he had a big run on Daredevil, yeah. and then he was probably that time maybe doing Sin City or just starting Sin City, I forgot when they came out. Comic book. Yeah. So they went to him because he was not a screenwriter, so he was not on strike, and that's why they ended up going to him. Yeah. Apparently... uh some of the ideas that when you read about what was going on in in that corporate wars original script, you know, would have been a very interesting. Well, evidently they took some of that and made it into the pilot of the RoboCop TV show, the live action show, which I could never get into because it seemed like it was just so silly, like the bad guy pudgy face or whatever he was. It was just I never. But I I heard that the a lot of the the aspects of 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 what they did there some of it is some of it yeah they the, kind of resurrected because some at the, of the beginning ideas. he robocop gets like completely pulverized and then some i don't know if it's like even in a more like uh, dystopian it's, future it's supposed to be yeah it's supposed to be at least in the original script 
he gets destroyed in the first scene. Yeah. And then there's a card that says like 20 years later. Meanwhile. And, and now it's 20 years later, it's like a Blade Runner-y even existence. Worse. And uh, the, t- the city has gone to shit. And somebody ends up like finding uh, RoboCop, like the parts of RoboCop. And they decide to resurrect RoboCop to try to clean the shit up but there's other stuff going on that happens in the show which is like he ends up falling in love with this uh like uh ai uh, artificial intelligence that's inside the computer with him and that doesn't really exist it's just this personality that's inside the computer and i think that some of that carries over into the television show um but anyway so they never they write a first draft and, and Newmyer says, you know, like my first drafts are never good. Like the, you know, it takes the second or third draft before the movie starts to really come together, but they never got a chance to do that. Yeah. So Miller ends up writing a first draft. He ends up writing a draft and apparently the studio reads it and says like this, it's not filmable. <laughs> yeah. There's too much wackiness going on. And and so they ended up hiring another writer. Yeah. Wally Green. To... Uh, punch it up, right? Rewrite that script. And he's Wally Green we talked about because he he helped write, or I don't know if he helped write or he was the main writer for Sorcerer, uh, William Freakin' Sorcerer. He wrote The Wild Bunch. But his first claim to fame is The Wild Bunch. He worked on Sorcerer. He's got, uh, apparently he worked on but was not credited for War Games. Yeah. And then apparently he also wrote a movie that's near and dear to my heart from the 80s called Solar Babies. Sure. (laughs) And so he came in and he... uh, ended up rewriting Frank Miller's script. Um, so that's some of the script stuff. I, what else did you... <laughs> trying to think of what else you, then the, you, you touched on that, uh, I wanted, that I wanted to comment on. How how they're using him as the drug addiction and then turning him into a, you know the robot to go after to take the city over because they're uh, privatizing the city. So apparently in an uh, early version of the script, and I don't recall if this is in the novelization. You read the novelization more recently than I did. Uh, there's a scene early on where Kane, yeah, he goes to the and sp- Angie. They go to OCP and they shot this. And there's stills of it out there where they're yeah they they go in with a crap load of money and they're like hey we're looking to pay in cash something much like RoboCop and they're they get like a VIP tour of like the I don't know what you call that like the showroom yeah and you see the showroom kind of in the background of some of the shots yeah yeah you can imagine that this is probably the lobby of this building and they're showing off yeah yeah like um, there's a figure of RoboCop the 209 in there there's another other ones these are our big products yeah and so they want to buy a RoboCop. Yeah, or have one specially made for them. And then the scene they shot, Tom Noonan kind of is in like in a Hindu outfit with like he has like a, a headpiece on on his on his hair. And then he's, you know, and then she kind of looks also like she has like an Indian kind of Asian, you know, uh, outfit on too. And then they, they're meeting with, what's the, the girl's the female name? female doctor, yeah. Yeah, Wax. Wax. Fax. And, you know, they have this dialogue and... Uh, and so what happens, what that scene does, one, it establishes, I think it plays more into that idea of that they're a business. They want this for protection. Yeah. Like to ensure like that they're, they're this underground drug business they have can be secure and safe in terms of, uh, not safe in terms of like, you know, safety, but yeah. in terms of like not being uh, challenged by other criminals and stuff. Uh, it also establishes that he's kind of obsessed with RoboCop. Yeah, this idea of of uh, 
of and they know all about Murphy, like all this stuff that's supposed to be confidential, they know about. Yeah. Like he was a police officer that was gunned down and they put his brain inside Robocop. And so he's really read up on it and it establishes that he has this weird kind of connect, like uh, fascination with Robocop. And then in the deleted scene that they shot, there's stills. I, don't, I, I guess no one has the actual footage, but there's still surviving stills. He like stands up on, I think, the area where they have like the robocop like you know st- st- mannequin and he kind of like hugs the mannequin or he like you know does something really freaky deaky tom noonie <laughs> close to him you know and then he also establishes because he knows that it's a man's brain inside the robot he never finishes the thought in the original script but he says that uh like i envy the guy in that robot another cut to an hour and 15 <laughs> minutes later how freaky is it that they that she pulls the plug and he's alive yeah. which i don't think is in the novelization i'm probably wrong but like they emphasize that he's okay he's he survived the car crash the truck crash or robocop but they up they unplug him so fucked up to, to, to salvage his organs and then that scene when they take his cranium out which is which is another very memorable Freaky! <laughs> it's Kirshner, the director's favorite scene, where they they pop open his cranium. They pull, and then the re- the reveal he's in the uh, aliens freaking pool. Uh, you know the, the 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 fish tank. Yeah. And he's and how freaky is it that it's him? It's predator shit, where it's like his brain, his spinal cord, his eyeballs, and that's essentially all you need. You know. <laughs> no, what I mean? And she's right. like talking to him, and and, and it's, he's, he can't. Is there even a POV? Maybe you might see him you looking see, out. He, well, yeah, you see. Terrifying. What he's hashtag terrifying. <laughs> I must say, <laughs> it's so freaky. Well, yeah. Uh, that that yes, absolutely. And I totally want to talk about that. But I think <laughs> the importance of that scene is that it's you know the it's, scene with it's, him it's, seeing it's yeah, setting yeah. up that she's now gonna that he kind of wants to be the machine. But also, you know, Tom Noonan's portrayal in this movie, and then it's, I feel it in the novelization where it's like the guy. It's not to him. It's not a spiel. It's not an act. It's not like he's like in a, one of these uh, corrupt and 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 jello and and evangelical. Uh, evangelical. Thank you, evangelicalists. Or it's like you know, where he, it's like he believes he's like the Jim Jones or whatever he's saying. He is the Messiah, you know. And going to the point where you said like they're making different kinds of nukes for different kinds of days, or you know, or your well, moods. Well, it's, you know? it's interesting because the scene where so right, I, I like that that it's like you know he, yeah, you know, it's it, it is it's not just a cult. It's like he is his what he's thinking he is. Well, you know. The scene where he goes and he, when Robocop goes initially towards the beginning, and I guess it's when they capture him, um, but he sees like the Elvis stuff. And they got Elvis's body. <laughs> well, you know, I want to, yeah, go. Uh, and then he goes to like walk further into this giant warehouse, whatever this thing is. And this, when they this, drive up to that, it's very much like the, from when I was little, the, the finale of the first movie. Yeah. To me, it almost Detroit, seems like they yeah, shot, they shot it the and they, they shot the first movie in, in, in um, I believe, Dallas because Dallas was so modern looking at the time. But this one they shot in Houston. So it's a different city. But still, to me, it's yeah. uh, it, he was going back to where the first one ended uh, like, visually. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, but then as he's walking, like they pan up to like this crystal on a, on a pillar yeah. or something. Yeah. And then there's no payoff to that. But apparently there is a deleted scene where you see uh, Kane and Angie, they meditate. It has something to do with some kind of like meditative ritual that they do. So it's playing up like this mystical aspect of Kane. He's like praying to this kind of a thing. Or he... Yeah, like there's not only the cult has to do with 
the drugs and everything, but there is like a semi-religious aspect to what he's all about. Like a transcendental that, medication. That, that, that apparently got, yeah. you know, cut out. Because I remember when, when we watched it and they pan up to that thing, I was always like, what is that? That's scary. Like, I almost wanted to be like, put like rewind. Is that significant? Because they definitely do highlight. Yeah, it. and you see, <laughs> like they so, pan up to it to see it. And, and it was because earlier in the movie, you had the him and the girl meditating near it, having some sort of I don't know if they're praying at it, but they're getting some sort of like yeah, psychic something about energy like, off of uh, it. Yeah, some kind of energy, like energy know. transference thing that they're that they're doing. Uh, it when for me, it, it I don't know if I ever understood in this movie the idea that they that. At least from this viewing, I feel like they went and dug up and he got Elvis's uh, remains and brought them. There's a very popular comic book series called The Trans Metropolitan, which I love. That came out like 10 years ago, and I think there's 10 issues. And uh, for years, they've been trying to get it made. They, they wanted Patrick Stewart to be the lead. And then they had Patrick Stewart actually open one of the comics saying, I'd love to do it, but we'd have to find funding. But it takes place in one of these really messed up futures. And it's if it's and it has the satire that these RoboCop movies have. So it's like if you crossed like uh, Blade Runner with RoboCop, this is what you get the Transmetropolitan. And there's and he is a uh, a. Uh, a critic in it or he's a columnist so he comes down from the mountains to start having these adventures then he's also writing so it does twofold his commentary is what he's writing you know and you see that in this future there people are digging up the bodies of famous people like Elvis and they're doing drugs off the bones and stuff and to me that's unsettling but it's like see like it's like they went someplace dug up the mausoleum of Elvis or whatever and brought him back and for me, I, I very much believe, oh, my God, that that is Elvis because this is Kane. You know, of course it's going to be Elvis. <laughs> yeah, you know? I mean, as a kid. He's I, a king, you I know. I believe that that's Yeah, you know. Was. And they have the other guy um, who they, they, you know, with the sideburns who they call Elvis in it or whatever, you know, he, he, you know he's very, you know, southern. So it's like you, you wonder where, where, you know, did did it go through like Nashville or Memphis, Kane's upbringing with the guitar or whatever? Where did it go to become to this kind of like uh, transcendental kind of a, a detachment? Uh and then it's just, it, yeah, it's crazy. So, and then Kane's original name was going to be Kong, right? That's what it was in, apparently, apparently that's what it was in some and, of the er, earlier versions of the script. Yeah. And then they don't end up, they, they take a lot, a lot of the stuff out they can't do with Frank Miller's version, but they end up doing, again, about 10 years ago, they did a run in some comic book company. They did Frank Miller's RoboCop, and it was the, his original script. And I read it back then, and it, for me, it was just like, you know, bad house crazy. You know, it was really crazy. The the artwork is really uh, insane looking and stuff like that. Apparently, it was really poorly reviewed. Like, yeah, people did not like it. Yeah, that and that's what I when I when I ended up reading up on this, I was like, oh, I I, I read those, you know, and I didn't remember liking them because they had very much like the Morton Downey Jr. times twenty talk show host in it that you know, and it was all like a lot of nudity, a lot of again probably because it's starting to go into realms that I'm not comfortable with, and so, you know, <laughs> so it's like so I don't maybe that's one of the reasons why I didn't care for but then it's even the art was you have to, it's an acquired taste some of the art so um i didn't care for it but they it is out there if you want to go look at frank miller's robocop um and i think even his script has maybe made it to 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 uh, market you can you know probably find it and download it someplace uh the guy in this movie who plays the mayor i freaking love and for me he was kind of like uh, a cross between like dc's marion barry and then um what's his face um the dc mayor who um, Kamala Harris had an affair with uh, the uh, Willie Brown. Willie Brown was a really big 
top, you know, and, and, and it's almost like if you got like a Sherman Helmsley, you know, to play the part. Like I think this this guy when I even when I saw the movie back then, I thought it was so he was so wet like I like I mean, yeah, I guess the mayor's corrupt, but it's like you're on the mayor's for me, I was on the mayor's side. Like the mayor is trying to you know, he's trying to do what he needs to do to get to save the city. You know, so you follow him. And I always like the idea of, like, he's the only one that makes it out of that big shootout. You know, and he's able to, like, you know, fall out of a... Sto- it looks like the same storm drain that Jack Nicholson from- becomes the Joker, you know, falls out of the Axis <laughs> chemicals. You know, but it's like, I always love that, that, you know, he's got, like, the boy's face and all that. And, he's, you know, and he, he, you know, he's in hock with OCP. OCP's like, fuck you, we're going to call on our debt and we're going to take over. Um, and then they're going to start, the, what is it, the urban pacification plan? which is basically just bulldozing everything for new detroit uh and then you know then i don't know then you go for the world you know it's it's it, you know it's weird you know because their whole thing is what they're gonna just do what the what we talk about in other casts urban renewal times thir- a thousand where they're gonna just remake the whole city and then they're gonna make new apartments and all that and it's gonna be this perfect um in their minds utopian kind of a thing uh i it's just yeah i i really liked him in it um, I loved. Uh, well, I, I found I found it so disturbing near the end when uh, Kane goes and kills everybody and then finds her, and it's like it's it's to me it's like Bob the Goon from Batman, where it's like you know oh you know and and trying to analyze what was going to happen because you know I, like I hid behind you when you're like it's okay Dion because <laughs> you knew it was coming and I'm watching like and he, and, sh- and it's like at first. I'm trying to figure out his motivation aside from being crazy and he's being in a cyborg of why he ends up killing her. But I wonder if it's because she's like, oh, it'll take some getting used to. That's the last line she says when she's like seductively rubbing her things down his like scissor pincher things. And that's when he grabs her by the and he breaks her freaking neck again. So disturbing for me as a kid. It's like, why are you killing the hot girl? You know, but it's like, uh, you know, it's just, uh, it's, you know, I don't know. You know, it's like, is he, is he mad because he feels like that she left him and betrayed him? Or is it because he's now transcended? He can't, how can he, like, he's realizing what they're saying to RoboCop initially. Like, how are you going to be able to, why does it matter this girl to you anymore? I don't know if there's, there's not enough, information there's no there there <laughs> to, to be able to yeah point to anything but yeah. I mean, yeah it's pure speculation but it's just one you know maybe he's like yeah you know you know you can't whatever you were doing for me before because you idolized me or whatever you this is not going to happen yeah. now you know uh interesting behind the scenes aspect of that scene is they were um afraid to that they were going to hurt her so what phil Tippett did was, well she's a dancer was he animated that scene just with with the full size arm, so he basically did stop motion, had her stand as still as she could, and then animated that hand going in there and grabbing her, and then frame by frame having her bend her neck, and he's like, and she, he's like, you know, it's crazy how much her neck would bend. I kept on saying, "Are you okay? Are you okay?" And she's like, "Yeah, I'm alright." And then, <laughs> then they had her stand up on some boxes and then hang from a like a bar, and then she would drop herself and land in such a way. And they did about five or I don't know how many takes, but she said, you know, it started to hurt more and more she was doing it. But she lands that way. She's like, because when you're a dancer, you fall all the time, you yeah. know, and it's controlled. So, you well, know. Well, that was interesting that they decided to animate the hand grabbing her head. Well, there's so only, it really is like that stop motion animation, just full size. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of um, interaction with the stop motion, you know, with uh, a lot of, I guess you'd call it blue screen stuff. There's a couple... For me, beautiful matte paintings at the beginning when you first get the glimpse of them driving up to OCP and then they have them getting out and you see the OCP building and it's like a mo- it's huge. Uh, it, I think that that was a beautiful matte. And then 
at the end of the movie when RoboCop and RoboCop 2 were battling and they come crashing out of the elevator shaft and you get a skyline of what, you know, this is the first almost wide shot of Detroit. You know, at the beginning of Batman, you get like Gotham, you know, and if you see this, the, the you know, the, the establishing shot of Gotham, it might be your first establishing shot of Detroit and you get to see what it really looks like matte painting style. I really enjoyed that. So there's a lot of like play with... um you know, live action in the foreground, and then in the background you have this perfectly seamless, uh, either rear screen or you know projection of the mat of the stop motion that they interact with, and I find that really, you know, uh, like that. I remember from the commercials at the time that the old man's line "Behave yourselves" that was you know in the marketing and stuff like that. Um, I loved all that. You know, I love it's it's it it is kind of like I didn't know all that stuff about the RoboCop two, the armature and stuff like that, but it's. It's fascinating to see how far they could have kept going if we had an alternate reality where we didn't have the CGI, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, or him being trapped in the computer and, and uh, being able to, you know, the face opens, you could see his face. and Yeah, well, all that stuff with, with the cane and the robot, that's another aspect that I was kind of hinting at earlier when we started the show, which was there's just stuff that I, I wish played out more. Yeah. You know, like... I recall in my memory the the drugs and the cane robot had more to do with each other than you know than one scene where she kind of says if you go and do this I'll give you the drugs and then the only other drug reference is when uh, the old man pulls it out. Yeah, pulls it out, and then he's like, oh, Well, shit. even that part where she's like, I'll give this, even the, it was before we saw, we had the reveal of RoboCop 2, you see his face, and then you see the, the chest open, you have those little pincers come out, yeah, yeah. and even that's scary to me, those little claws trying to grab at the big old um, thing of, of nuke. You know, and then she gives it to him, and then he goes off on his journey. Like even the teaser stuff is is, is brilliant in that. How they, you know, the the reveal of RoboCop too. Yeah, I mean, I certainly don't. It, you know, it's tough. It's a it's a fine line to when you talk about movies and you get kind of and you concentrate on like on what could have been. Yeah, but I just feel like there's there are there's so many of these little nuggets in this movie, and I and I certainly I, I and I'm not negatively reviewing the movie for not having them in there. It's just. You know, they've left me wanting more. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, like I would love to have more of a, of a relationship with Kane in the robot. You know, more of what's going on inside him psychologically. Yeah, if they or had the, him turn the, a little more, or the drug addiction, just the more drug addiction. It. it was one of those things. You know, they were like you. You know, like you've said, and, and I and I said earlier, which is. You know, like, oh, that's it. That's <laughs> <laughs> all. That's all. Like, that's all it's there so is to, the, to this. Yeah. Because, uh, uh, I mean, one, I mean, stylistically, the robot's awesome. The, like, lawnmower man aspect of him inside God. of the screen is kind of interesting. So, like, it, you know, even more than, in some ways, even more than, uh, you know, Murphy, like, you could see that he is, like, this trapped thing inside this robot because he is just, like, this digital image on a screen well and as you said if they kept those deleted scenes which are in the novelization i don't recall if they're in the graphic novel of him first meeting and then you establishing that fascination because i don't think that comes across in the no, theatrical none of that as much like you know you, you know, know it, it play it would play into why she chooses him 
uh, the, the, the uh, facts. Yeah, like it would the like that. Just that scene would mean so much. Would would imply so much more into the you know it, it would set up. It would be like some weird foreshadowing that would kind of once he's in the robot, you would have predetermined feelings about him being inside the robot yeah. that aren't there. So you don't get a sense that you know this. She hints that like this will make him immortal, like. You know, you don't get that sense that he's... He's making the decision? I mean, I guess maybe it is... They're trying to go for that, like, he's a victim in this. Well, at that point, he kind of is. But it also doesn't play that way. I mean, you get that he's a victim, that he's in the bed, and that they kill him for it. Yeah. But once he's inside the robot, you know, I don't feel like there's any part where they're trying to make us feel... Sorry for him. Sorry for this guy inside the robot. Yeah. There's just a lot of things where, I don't know, they could just handle it in a way that emotionally would have a bigger impact on the viewer. Yeah. With all that said, the stuff that's in it, like the robot's awesome. Yeah. The lawnmower lawnmower man graphic stuff is awesome. Tom Noonan is obviously awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, the stop motion stuff is really fucking impressive. And even to the even in the way that it's kind of matted in is much crisper well that's what i was and saying cleaner than yeah we're used to seeing yeah the foreground the interaction of like live action in the foreground with some sort of you know layered in uh in the some sort of stop motion or miniature work you yeah, know? usually you start to lose like generational yeah like it's grainy or none of that really here you, you, you I mean, it really I mean, looks gorgeous you're like oh this must be stop motion <laughs> they, that's because when i was little i was thought it was they actually made it i mean even the the creature effects they do, like when they, another fucked up thing, them destroying RoboCop was so crazy to me when I was, you know, with them taking the jackhammer and them taking them apart and the kids, you know, the kids there and he's all getting into it. Again, more going to that idea about the baseball team going, you know, everyone's like, yeah, fuck it, okay. Yeah. And then they, when they drop off at the, at the picket line, you know, you have the generic cops like, you know, strike, strike, what's it going? Oh no, we got to come together. And it's like, you know, they have the, um, Robocop falling apart and then just that that one body of his torso and head and it's obviously you know a a, a mechanical head of of Peter Weller like you know I don't know Uh, yeah you know he's kind of like you know rebooting the way it kind of works because like but it's so it's like his circuits are overloading yeah the fact that it is mechanical it's in it yeah and it but to me it doesn't I mean I guess you could at the end of the day you're like oh that is mechanical but it's some of the best stuff I've seen it looks great you know I mean especially certain scenes where you have when they have them suspended there when they start debating like we can't pay for the upgrade because this is how much it'll cost and we're not going to pay for that OCP and uh, the captain who reprises his role who I think just died a, a couple of years ago you know he's like he's one of ours you're gonna fix him or whatever but even that stuff when like uh nancy allen's talking to him it's it's just crazy looking yeah, yeah. very freaky good work there's a couple of you know again i don't want to harp on like the stuff that's not in the movie but it's the like, interesting insight into like apparently i think in an, an, an original script and you see photos of it so they must have shot at least some of it which like I think it's when he's being destroyed. He starts one. He starts having this like premonition of like his own funeral. With, yeah. Like, him and his wife. I mean, his wife and his kid at his funeral. But then there's also like this premonition of like he goes to Murphy's grave as RoboCop. Yeah, and, and, and you can see, his... and there are stills of that. Yeah. Um, which I think it's playing more into like the struggle of humanity that he's dealing with, and that he's now being kind of just systematically 
being taken apart like a machine, like a car, it's, it's, being yeah. like just stripped. Yeah, you know, not just of like his mechanical parts, but of his humanity also. And then there's also an aspect which would have been nice, which is when he's taken apart and OCP is like, there's a question as to whether or not OCP is going to fix him or not. The, uh, you know, like Nancy Allen's character, she goes to the doctor that works at the, at the police precinct. Who's like, you got to fix him. Yeah. He's in pain. She goes to him. She's like, make a list of everything that you need to fix him and how much it's going to cost. And then the cops start taking up a. Oh yeah, and they like they only like make a thousand dollars or so. But they at least there's an effort. Yeah, like they've and they laugh. They're like, uh, she goes to fax and she's like, how much have you have you been able? Well, that, this is in the movie. Right? Or am I getting mixed up with the novelization? I think it's in the novelization. Yeah, where she's like, how much are you gonna? T-? And they're like, we've 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 I don't know. We've saved up a couple thousand. They're like a couple thousand. It's gonna cost a couple million just to do you know just his his robotic shell or whatever. You know, it's just gonna be so much more. And then there's the aspect of when they do, they decide that they're going to put him back together and they want to, you know, change his programming, that they do a, uh, what's it called? Like, like a, a like a focus group? Like <laughs> they do a focus group on RoboCop, which is also, I think, well, so- But it's funny because like, then- for, you know, relevant for today. Because it's the other side of it where you're going after the, 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 it's a send off on capitalism and the faults of capitalism. But then the other side of it, it's like, it's all those plat- plateaus or, you know, the, um, you know, what would you like to, you know, what would you like to see? You know, or oh, well, I'd like to see him talk more about that. I'd like to see him talk more about the environment. I think he needs to address, you know, so it's like, they're like yeah, that's a great, so they're putting all these, well, I'm um, platitudes I'm thinking of, yeah. you know, so it's like, so then you have the other side of it where they're trying to make him very progressive now. And then he's trying to battle, he's got all these, uh, I don't know how he's got like 500. Out- well, I think they want to basically can take him away from the so streets. So he's conflicted. And, you know, because they want to bring in the RoboCop too, but like, what can RoboCop do? Which is like, be friendly. and <laughs> He becomes a spokesman almost. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I find it interesting because I think in the age of social media, like focus groups, I mean, they still do exist, and you know, I I get like emails about like going to take part of them, part of them here in the city. But in the age of social media, like now, like social media is a fo- is basically a focus group. Yeah, sure. When I worked on Comic Book Men, and comic and the show would air the on Kevin Smith, yeah, uh, the AMC show, show the yeah. AMC show uh, with Kevin Smith. The show would air on Sunday. And then on Monday, we would get notes from Kevin Smith based on what he read on Twitter. Yeah. And so we would be finishing up or almost locked the next episode. And then we'd have to reopen it so that we could address fan people, fan, mail. fans' tweets. Yeah. About what they didn't <laughs> about like. About a or previous whatever. episode. Yeah. Because Kevin Smith read them on Twitter. And now we have to, you know, address one guy's fucking tweet about, yeah, well, that's, <laughs> about the night before. That's, and that's the power of social media nowadays, where you can have everyone, and, and it's not a negative, everyone has an opinion, but it's just funny that, you know, you, you it's this masked entity now with, and, and, you know, you could hide behind whatever, your computer and you could say what you want and not have any ramification of what it means but here it means that it's like you, you have all these people you know so they have they they make all these directives for him and they pump him in like with so many more directives that he's so he doesn't know what to do he's talking to dead bodies even the the PSA they they made it a PSA where he sh- you know he shoots the, the around the guy's head thank you for not smoking i remember that playing in in theaters you know before movies and it, it must have been i guess around the time this came out yeah. and a couple of years later but they would show that like i mean at this i guess now they 
and I don't know if anybody would even think about it. maybe with the, with the e-cigarettes they will but like you know no one smokes in theaters anymore but like that was they were still putting that in there you know uh, those kind of things um, yeah it's just it's it, there's so much that's what I'm there's so much going on here that's so you know uh, there's so much subtext and stuff uh, even the novelization uh, it has you know the, just like the movie's broken up into three parts and before each part it has a quote so before the first uh, part of, of the, in the novelization, the quote is, The world is a comedy for those who think and a tragedy for those who feel by Horace Walpole. Uh, Walpole. The uh, part two quote is, One should forgive one's enemies, but not before they are hanged by Heinrich Hein. And then the third quote for part three is, uh, Maybe this world is another planet's hell. And that's by Huxley. So... Um, it's funny that you have the author then of the of the novelization adding those, you know, because you certainly those aren't coming up as like you know uh, act you know <laughs> act two, act one, you know. So that's interjected, and then also they try to play up, which I feel like they were going for, like uh, the the idea of how conflicted Robo is about shooting a child, and when he first uh, sees Hob and he can't track him because it's it almost goes against his directives, and then the kid shoots at him, and I think it actually fucks him up because it gets like a direct hit, and then later on he almost has a feeling maybe because it reminds him of his boy. Can you do that, Dad? And then like at the end of the when uh, he finds the kid dead in the in the which I always found really messed up the kid's dead in the uh, in because uh, Robocop 2's shot the thing up at him and looking at this viewing it must be that he was getting flipped around and there with all the money falling on him and all that that you know Robocop they try to make it really touching when, when the kid dies and with Robocop and then in the novelization when he dies he says quote Robo emitted a noise that suspiciously sounded like a sob you know so it's like he is feeling these emotions and he's and it's almost like he it's he's the shakespearean tragic figure that he you know that he's crying on the inside or you know this this the, all these other things they're trying to bring it in to be make it a little more yeah. poignant i mean i think you know in a way the first movie is more about robocop than this movie is yeah and in a way like if i guess maybe that's like the biggest fault of this movie well is that the hang up that people have that people are so mad like you said the first thing we were addressing the contention that people like well you know he's searching for his individuality by the end of the first one he's named murphy but then in the second one you know he's he's back to being robocop again where it's like well that's the fight it's this fight to preserve against the world it's, a, it's an ongoing fight yeah it's, it's an ongoing it's the, struggle yeah the, the, <laughs> yeah the, the struggle is real and you know, you know he's okay like he's murphy, murphy born he's murphy by the end of the first one but he still has the directives yeah I mean, he's still a machine so uh i mean he's just not like murphy now in a robot body and they still were just, struggling with being a robot and like the first scene of when you get the intro of him coming out of the car or something he starts shooting you get like we get the three prime directives flash up just in case we forget serve the public trust uh uphold the law what does it serve the public trust protect the innocent uphold the law you know it's like you get the three of those so we know okay we're, you know we're writing them all down <laughs> you know and then so refresh the, course yeah, so that you know by the exposition yeah so that by the time he gets like 500 more you know and if you go online there's a whole uh cali cave of freaking what you know someone some guy sat and stilled that dvd to write them all out of what everyone is uh 
I don't, you know, it's just for why it's always this has been so dark for me this movie because of the ideas it's not quite as dark as I remember it being now that we watched it again see for me it's still kind of I guess I maybe because we're used to this but for me the ideas yeah. behind we're it the concepts behind, to it now yeah because like I said before I feel like people were like you know was it Ebert that was all up in arms like you know he, the, the contempt that they're gonna you have a child being there doing yeah. you know He's swearing like Eddie Murphy yeah exactly you know and it's but I think nowadays it's like it's like we brought up in the John Wick episode about uh, uh, the episode before that, Assault on Precinct 13. In the 70s, people were so aghast by this child being killed, spoiler, by an ice cream truck, that by the time we get to John Wick 35 or 40 years later, the only way we can elicit that same emotion is by killing an innocent animal, a puppy. You know spoiler. 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 So it's like, so now it's like back then that was just, again, it's it, for me, it's all fallen into the same realm, which I can't really um, contextualize about the, uh, you know, going with the, with the Little League team, like the, just the... This human life, you know, the the world they're living in, we still get that Paul Verhoeven kind of media is evil. You know, they, they're showing all around the world where it's like the the, the nuclear reactor in the rainforest. I like the, the arcade they go into, it's like the, you know, you imagine that's like the foot are hanging out in there. No, I know. It, it's all, um, what do you call that? It's so funny because when I saw it, I was like, I was so into it. Uh, it's the... Um, uh, data Data East with all the game logos because I remember those on the side of the machines back in the day yeah. and I guess they did the Robocop video game but even so you know they have like the the the, uh, the first uh, nuclear reactor in the in the uh, in the rainforest has gone off and then they're like uh, and uh, critics of it are saying it's destroying the environment and then you have uh, Lisa Gibbons ad lib as newscasters do. Oh, don't they always complain? You know, she says something that's really assy, and it's just so. It, it's just, it seems all so much. It seems so on point. Um, what one of the gripes I do have with the movie though is I love the sound design in the movie. I think there's certain sequences where I realize they kind of do like a la Michael Mann, where like once the near the end of the movie, like once the action starts, they stop the soundtrack. Yeah. And you just have this beautiful, like you have all the, you know, the machine guns going off, the M21 that, that Eugene Stoner designed, which was a real gun the kid's holding, uh, RoboCop's freaking um, Auto 9, I think it's called, which was a, they, they uh, configured or modified a Beretta. It's like, oh, you have all the sound effects and the, the, you know, all the stuff. Sometimes you hear like voices in the background, like people yelling and stuff. Yeah. And it's really, the sound design is great. You know, and especially for like a lot of times... Uh, in these movies, you don't have like, especially gunshots are very generic sounding. Where in this movie, I felt like it was almost like, you know, they're, they're, they're recording the diegetic sounds on, you know, and it feels like when the kid's shooting that gun, he's trying to hold on to it. Um, but then when they start playing the soundtrack, um, they didn't bring back the original score. And that's for me, is hard because the, the, the the score is so iconic dun, 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 and it's very metallic you get that almost we were talking about terminator 2 brad um uh fidel, fidel you know so when we get to this movie we don't even have the theme it's 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 off-putting yeah it's a weird choice um is it a rights issue? I don't. I can't imagine that it would be a rights issue because I would imagine whoever produced this one produced the first. It's Orion, one, yeah, and so that they would own it. Orion. I mean, the first score was written by a, a composer named Basil Pelodorus. Basil Rathbone, <laughs> who he did like uh, Conan, and yeah, he did a, a bunch of Ver, Verhoeven stuff. I mean, he's a great. He's considered 
one of the greats. This one was composed by a guy named Leonard Rossenman, mm. who it's crazy. His, his career started so early because he did the music for East of Eden and Rebel Without a Cause. Well, that is the 50s, 55, <laughs> yeah. 54. And then in the 70s, he did Race with the Devil, yep. which is a, a Peter Fonda movie that I love. He did The Car. Yep. He did- Which was uh, just on Svengoolie, but I digress. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Ralph Bakshi, Lord of the Rings. Oh, those are great. That's the um, the, the cinemascope, the rotoscope, and yeah. Yeah, and, the, and he did uh, Star Trek IV, The Voyage, Voyage Home. Okay. So they brought in a different uh, composer to do the score. I mean, who knows- um, That's so. That gentleman, he, he did RoboCop two or RoboCop. He did RoboCop two. Ba- okay. Uh, Basil Polidorus did the first one. Okay. And this is Leonard Rossenman. Yes. Um, who obviously reading off his credits, a very impressive resume. Yeah. But there's <laughs> and, the, and the score is good. But it, you're right. It is very strange. And the score is RoboCop esque. But you don't have the main themes of RoboCop. Yeah, and I it's, wish it's a very strange it decision, and I don't know why someone would do that. Even if they, even if they needed to just play it once, you know, when he gets out of the car, dun, 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 dun. you know, it's like, oh, there it is, and that's all. But like we we hear the same instruments, we're just looking for this the familiar tune, but we can't hear the. I'm not hearing that melody. I know, you know, so it was a little like, oh, that was a little off putting, you know. Yeah, because it's not like it's not common practice for com- composers who take over uh, a series. Yeah, you know, they all use the same. Yeah, especially thieves. if it's an established. It's like doing Terminator Two without the. You know, I mean, it's like you know doing a Bond movie without the James Bond theme. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like. Uh, it's I like peanut butter without jelly. It's like having a peanut butter sandwich, but you forgot the peanut butter. And you forgot the sandwich. You're <laughs> <laughs> just trying to reinvent the wheel. I don't get it. So that that was one I think of, it's I think it's a great score, but yeah, it is like a But a, to me there's no memorable There's no memorable like, you know, waltz. So there's no memorable kind of a you there's know no theme yeah, that really sticks out. You know, if you gave me another theme like Batman Returns, I get another theme. You know, I'm like, my motherfucker, <laughs> come on. It's like Please. Give me a theme. <laughs> Give me a plea. Can I? Can I? Can I? Can I? <laughs> mother? Can I, can I please get a theme? You know, it's like I want. You know, I want to hear something. Especially if you're coming off the heels of the first one, that would tie us right in. You know, like I said, with the with the issues with the old man. How maybe, do you feel about the blue tint of, of his of well, the armor? Love, so, well, they what they do for to, to help Peter, Mister Weller, is that they uh, they fiberglass it this time around, so it's lighter and much more easier to get in and out and all that. I love it because I think he's aerodynamic. One of the funny things I think. I made a note is that he's not stealthy. So, you know, when he's sneaking up on you, rrr, 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 you know, it's just when he's funny. like walking and, uh, you know, when he's trying to sneak up on everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Like when he goes and, and, he puts his, and he puts his like fingers in the guy's nose or like grabs the guy's nose and he's like, where, you know, where's it? And he's like, I just know where I got it from. Where's Kane? And, and then it's like him like walking yeah. in the streets. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's really not an efficient <laughs> For to be <laughs> well, like you know when he, when he, like when, he really he really could fine tune his movement. When he, yeah, when he breaks floor. into the bre- the brewery and he and they blow his car goes over like a landmine and then and they go up to it and it's not there anymore and he's they pull back and he's like hidden behind the you know the gate and you're like how did he get out? No one heard that Carlito style. Yeah, he's like I'm reloaded. Okay, come on in here, motherfuckers. I'm waiting for you. Oh, you ain't coming in. I ain't coming out. You're up against it now, motherfucker. <laughs> you're about to blow your fucking brains out. <laughs> you think you're big time? 
You're going to die. Big time. Here come the pain. <laughs> Drop <laughs> it. Drop it. <laughs> There's no beer down here. <laughs> Look what they've done to you. That's <laughs> doing the whole movie. In. I'm sorry. Look what they did to you, Aguabo. <laughs> getting late. It's getting late, yeah. <laughs> it's getting late now. It's getting late. Um, run out of steam. Run out. So, a um, <laughs> couple things. Nancy Allen had some, she says she has some issues. We should bring up the director of course, uh, Irving Kirschmeyer. Irving Kirschner, of course. <laughs> I say Irving Kirschmeyer. Irving Kirschmeyer. Yes. Or Irving Kirschner. Yeah. However you want to pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> potato, potato. <laughs> so, Irving Kirschmeyer. Uh, a very interesting resume. Yeah. Because if you look at like his 70s output, and I mean, he did like Eyes of Laura Mars, mm. but. He's being brought up a lot. <laughs> you know, how, he, how he got, how Lucas chose him to direct Empire Strikes Back. When you look at like his previous work, definitely not the book. Yeah, let's get him to do. Well, maybe he was Empire cheap Stri- and I mean, I guess, he, I, guess. I guess maybe when we, at least I don't know if we talked about it in Star Wars because we didn't do Empire Strikes Back. No, but maybe we, in research. We might have talked about it in It Raiders. was something like he picked Erwin Kirshner because of, he wanted like the drama the character aspect of Empire Strike Back to be stronger. So he wanted to get a director. Yeah, but wasn't he appalled because he was away dealing with Raiders so that the reason people argue that that movie is so good, uh, Empire Strikes Back, is because Lucas wasn't involved. Yeah. Lucas was away being... The Kirsch. Yeah, the, yeah, he was He was being... <laughs> There's a Lucas calls him in the, in the commentary. So I called, I called Kirsch. Yeah, so he, he was away being... You know, he was busy, busy work, and then when he came back, he was, I don't know if the word is appalled or mad or whatever about how the characters were so dark or how the overall movie was so dark because that's why he had a heavy hand in the third one and you get fucking Ewoks. You know, yeah. it becomes like that. You know, you go completely kitty. You know, that's conjecture. I don't know if that's true, speculation. But that's a lot of people who are smarter than I. Like I said, yeah. uh, argued I mean, it to who, me. Yeah, who knows? Um, because I mean, like I, I believe I heard at some point that the reason why he hired Kirshner was because like he wanted a, dr- a dramatic director, not so much a special effects director. Yeah, but uh, but apparently Kirshner came on really late in this movie. So my guess is that there was a director. Um, yeah, attached to attached to it because, in pre-production because he comes in apparently like really the last minute. To, and That's pit. like your your the party's already started and the DJ's playing the first song and then you're coming in trying to like you know make sure before the doors open. Yeah, you know. So I mean, it was, certainly it wasn't a project where he was in you know heavily involved throughout development. The way I've heard it is that like he pretty much came in just before they went into shooting. Yeah, and so he that. probably you know he basically ended up inheriting this movie, you know, because everything's already set. They, ca- they probably cast already, you know, Botine and, and Tippett and everybody. They're already working on the, the, the effects and the, yeah. the designs of stuff. And so he just kind of comes in in the, in the 11th hour. And Frank Miller, who isn't required, he shows up on set every day. And then, you know, from who you talk to that they're having, you know, really heavy talks about the script every day before the shooting. Other people say like the guy who they call Elvis, uh, the bad guy, he, they say in the morning, uh, he's the curses. They're ripping out papers of the script that they're not going to shoot. And they're, you know, in front of Frank Miller and all. And then Nancy Allen at the time, who had a very positive reflection on the movie recently, has said in interviews how of a terrible experience she had with him, I guess, specifically doing stuff. 
Um, I'm not a fan of how she carries her gun when she's like, you know, like you think they would have trained her a little better. Uh, but uh, she can, I mean, even like, again, at the beginning where, where she, the little kids, the opening when he's trying to strangle her terrifying this little kid's out you know <laughs> over his, her back and strength so yeah we set it all up like you seem like you had more information about nancy allen than that no yeah that was it's just I, that she wasn't she wasn't happy with kirshner no she was she was upset about what happened that um that he i don't know she said in an interview that she got a little uh at the time she was a little you know well weller as well criticized this too because when the movie came out weller he kind of distanced himself from the movie because he was thinking that it he did a more like a moral angle and he didn't like it was just to shoot him up. So he, I guess, was having kind of the same, who knows what version he looked at or what was being said at the time. Uh, but I don't know. You know, she said in 2010, she did an interview uh, and it was uh, four months before Kirshner's death. And she was saying, uh, she said she hated working with him and quote, and you can tell him that I don't care. She said, uh, but that doesn't match earlier statement that she said in August of 1990. But she said that he was completely uh, he when he, when there was a guy Tim Hunter was slated to direct, and then he was replaced by um, the Kirsch. And then when he replaced him, he completely changed the script. According to Allen, he took she, he took out all the intelligence and humor, and uh, she didn't like that. And she went on record at this film festival in July 2000 four months before his death saying that she didn't you know she 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 didn't have a good time and then in 1990 she talked to like Starlog or something like that and saying yeah well I mean in 1990 she's promoting the movie yeah so so she can't say anything bad about it you know (laughs) yeah and I don't I I was trying to think of too what else has she what has she been in aside from the two Robocop movies I mean she's in a buttload of yeah De Palma movies yeah yeah right she's married to De Palma she's in that early you're right she's in the early all the early uh, De Palma movies so um I don't know. Well, there, you know, there is an interesting thing with the, her character, which is that we never really learned anything about her in either movie. <laughs> yeah, you think you get a little because I... I mean, I would imagine that maybe the, her character... I mean, because there's really no reason for her character to really be in this one. No, so it's kind of almost like she's... So maybe that's some of the stuff that got taken out. I mean, we could have even had her like, you know, we could have learned a lot if, if that scene were... You know, my little horn dog ass is like when when RoboCop's looking at that sh- girl take a shower. He walks off. She walks over, looks at what she's looking at. And he's like, she's like, ooh, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But it's like in the first one, I feel like there is some sort of like attraction. Yeah. You know, before he when, when he's still Murphy, she's like, "What are you learning?" He's like, "Oh, my son watches uh, Johnny Laser, whatever his name is, and he's learning how to swivel." Captain up. Power. Captain Power and the power te- <laughs> and the Rocketeers. Um, and you don't even you don't have him flipping the gun in this movie, do you? Now that I he think does, about it. does least, he want? he does at least once. Um, yeah. I, you do get them reloading, which I love. At, at one point, you see him like putting the, the mag in. But you felt like there was a little nice, you know, Peter Weller's a good-looking guy at the time, you know, her, and she's like, you know, and then right off the bat, they're just rookie partners, and then he's brutally killed in front of her. Yeah. And then it's her trying to, like, bring him out of his shell, you know. Uh, it is you, isn't it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then this one, you're right. You, We wish you could have, I mean, she is, I guess, the greatest advocate he has in the movies, even more than the two people who were his living scientists at the precinct. But I guess that's her position in this movie, just to argue on his behalf. Like, you got to turn him back yeah. on. Come on, guys. We got to get back together. Come on, the cop. Like, I love the, you got to always have that scene that I love in movies where you have the, um, you know, you have those two guys on the, on the, uh, 
on the corner eating hot dogs and the cops go running by and that the, the one black guy's like it looks like they're going out to sign and that, that like that's the end it cuts like it's per- perfect you know you need that little you know humor of uh of the bystander scene it looks like they're going after somebody <laughs> and they're pissed and that, that, you know i love that little in- yeah, interjection yeah. but they're like even the cops are very generic like i love the uh the the guy the the, the crooked cop and that again always terrified me when they when 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 RoboCop got the info out of him, and then they they bail him out of jail, and they bring him to the to the old hospital, and they tie you know, and then they they freaking start um, dissecting him alive again, freaky, and then to the point where you know the 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 guy who's gonna do it is like, don't you want the kid to you know? He's like, no, the kid's gonna watch, and then the kid turns away, and he like turns the kid's head to make him so subversive. It's like this is it's all like it's like you know he's th- these two almost become his surrogate parents. And then it's almost like the Oedipal, like, you know, kill the father, fuck the mother kind of a, the, the, the relationship there because there's some, I, I don't know, maybe me just being a real horny 10-year-old, I, I felt like there was some subtext of him, like, you know, the, the kid with the girl. But uh, certainly Kane is raising the kid in such a way where, you know, he, he wants him to, he's encouraging all this, this, this uh, ultra-violence and yeah. gore, you know. And apparently in the, in the work print, it's the kid that kills the Asian woman who's hiding in the oh in the car. She's trying to yeah. And yeah. here they imply that it's Kane just shoots Kane, her. I yeah, think. even that scene. That's another scene that, that that upset me in this viewing where it's like there's just a little baby there, you know. And then it's like there's there's so many levels of they brought a baby to like a crack house. Or, I mean, hey, it may may happen every day where you see these like in New Jack City, you see like these women naked with their breasts hanging out because they're you know they can't they have to stay naked because the the dealer doesn't want them to leave with any products, so they're there you know cutting the drugs or whatever. But in this, it's like you know it looks like they're like I don't know illegal or illegitimate what, what's the proper word the uh, undocumented people yeah. you know and, and then the Chinese these Chinese or Asian people and then the woman's there and then the guy picks the baby up oh fucking kill the baby and it's like oh my god there's an infant through this whole thing that could get you know it's like you're putting these people in peril and I don't know if did that did you have suspense in that scene because for me it was a I little, was holding your hand in it was scene. a little suspenseful because he's just got shot in the face oh yeah and then he starts <clears> to fall, <throat> drop he, the baby and he starts to know the Robocop just get shot in the face by the kid. Oh, <clears throat> and he's having like the flashback. Yeah. Oh, so you meant like when he's trying to angle the shot <laughs> like, up? And he's yeah. Doing like this, maybe he's doing his, maybe <laughs> his like, calculations are not quite. I've done be this right. in billiards a lot. Like he's doing his geometry. Like, oh, my targeting system is still a little fouled up. <laughs> As he he blows the baby's brains out. Lois, I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go for it. Here, guide me. <laughs> you know, he's, this Murphy. This isn't baby formula. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but the, that was all, all that. Yeah. Apparently there was a, uh, you know, just to show that at least some stuff with uh, Nancy Allen got cut out, which is the Elvis guy you keep talking about. Apparently yeah. he had a death scene. Yeah, he had like a big knife fight with her. With her, yeah. And there's stills of it, so it was shot. And he said, yeah, and then I guess she he got thrown into the truck and then he died like like all getting high as hell. And there's a, there's a guy, and I don't remember the guy's name in the novelization, but there's an equivalent to like, he's like a big old kind of bodyguardish kind of a thug that is like Kane's right-hand man that isn't as intelligent says things that Kane has to like then say no the reason why we're doing it is because of this and he's like oh and uh it seems like the Elvis guy replaced him in the live action movie but to me he seemed like a bigger kind of a guy like I love the sequence when they break out in those futuristic kind of trucks I remember at the time when this movie came out I saw like a featurette of how they did the scenes of uh Robocop or Peter Weller or the stuntman on the front of the truck and him on the Harley 
I loved all that. You know, him getting on the Harley and, you know, and, and grabbing the guy and getting on or like him holding on. And then the, the, the intercut stuff of him, you know, getting pushed against the wall as a drive and all that kind of stuff before he ends up taking Kane out into the car accident. Um, we have our Tom Noonan story that we're now we're, we're going to get to <laughs> was that we when we were back. Coincidentally, in, I don't know if you realize this, but it was the corner across the street from where I live now. Oh, that doesn't make sense, doesn't it? Because he's walking that way. It was right. He was like walking towards my building now. That's it. Was, so we so we went to film school, and there's one guy that wrote a review saying that he doesn't like that we bring up that where we went to that we always bring up film school. I don't think we bring up that we went to film school all the time. We bring but, it up when it's relevant, <laughs> and that that's how Blake and I met. I mean, certainly in the Reservoir Dogs episode, it gets brought up a lot. Because well, because it was centric of of our yes. So maybe he very only listened to the movie for us. Maybe he only listened to the Reservoir Dogs episode. <laughs> he's like, he's fucking nice. <laughs> That's all they talk about is this. So, um, so we used to sh- we shoot film at film school. So we'd have to go buy the film. We'd have to go to Kodak, which was in the the 30s. It's kind of near the the old post office in um, the yeah. Madison Square Garden. And then what we would do is we Blake discovered one one day when he was walking with a friend, uh, walking ninth, north north on Ninth. You Although l- I think we were actually walking south when we discovered it, but we would then walk up Ninth Avenue to go to the on the west side of New York, Hell's Kitchen, because there was a place called A One that used to develop Reversal Film, which is no longer there. And Reversal, it's a whole other topic. Yeah, it's like what a film bar is. now. Yeah, because all the, all the film places are gone. The developing yeah. places, like Duart and all that. So we would buy film at the at Kodak. They give us a college discount, and then we'd walk up Ninth Avenue. We go to a place to develop the film. Uh, they, we used to past this place called Manjanero Hero Manjanero Hero Boy. I had for lunch today. Oh, you son of a fucking <laughs> va- <laughs> Ow! Damn. Jesus Christ, you fuck. I thought so, you were going to miss me on that I one. know, I'm sorry. I got a little close. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> um, so we... I did. I actually had Hero Boy. I couldn't tell you last time I had Hero Boy. So Hero Boy is this Italian place. Uh, they say they created the six foot sub, and there's funny when you go in to see posters or there's framed pictures of like Mayor Koch yeah. holding the six foot or the Jerky Boys, <laughs> you know, holding the, holding the six foot. And they and when we used to go, it was still like the old forties uh, kitchen counter yeah, style. I miss it, I, I miss it, it completely be. with with subway tiles. And they used to have a sign over their their uh, kitchen door, the, the, over the threshold, saying, "You know, the mozzarella. What is it? Made in house on location. Yeah, yeah. In the kitchen. And, like, come in. And so come in and watch. Check it so out. I guess they realized very quickly that this isn't the best idea to just invite the average New Yorker into the kitchen where there's health codes and stuff yeah. like that, and you're getting ABC ratings. So you go there, and they have great Italian food. To me, I think it's a little overpriced, but hey, you know, it's good. The rice balls, all kinds of stuff. You get your plastic cup with some red wine that's like not even, you know, room temperature." and you go eat and you get drunk because you have a glass of red wine. (laughs) So we used to go, and this would be a thing for us, our our group of friends, for Blake and I. One day, I feel like it was it only me and you. I feel like, okay, so you- The Tom Noonan story? Yeah, yeah, it was just you and me. So So we're walking up 9th Avenue. We just left Kodak, and we're walking up 9th to go to Hero Boy for lunch. we walk up 9th Avenue, and then we would go to Hero Boy for lunch, and then we'd continue walking up 9th Avenue until we were either going to- you know, go to the developing go, place, go to a different place, or take a right. Take a right to go back to Grand Central. Yeah, well, then you'd be heading east <clears throat> through Times Square and all that. So we're walking up, and it's Blake and I. And you know, Blake and I are talking about. I don't know at the time we're talking about. We're talking about John Carpenter. We're talking about <laughs> Who Clint Eastwood. We're talking about the Punisher. We're, we're doing talking the show. About, we're yeah. doing what you what you listen to. <laughs> it's, it's, it's we're doing how, that on yeah. the streets in New York. Yeah, we're debating typo negative versus the Doors. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Black Sabbath versus uh, you know Chuck Berry. So. We're walking, and in front of us, 
we see uh, these two little, I think they're little girls, yeah. and they were like maybe two, three years old. I th- yeah, I think they might have been a little older than that, but okay. they weren't older than like five. Okay, and they're in swimming outfits. They're in actual swimsuits, and they're like, they got flip-flops on, so it looks like they, they're either coming or going from a pool. Yeah, and they have like swimming, swim caps. They have swim caps I think on. one's got like a gold swim yes. cap, and one's got like a silverish metallic looking so they're walking in front of us and we're chatting and they're holding hands with a person with a with a male in the middle yeah and he's a very tall glass of water very tall guy so he's walking slow and as we're getting closer we're you know we're realizing he's going slow probably because he's got these two girls in tow so blake and i want to just try to get around him as we get up on him he's singing what well, i got the whole got the lime in the coconut. Is he singing? Oh, i'm thinking i got the whole world in my hand but <laughs> no, I'm, saying, I got the lime in the coconut. okay i'm thinking of steve buscemi from um Con, con air is I got the whole world in my hand. So he's singing at the lime and the coconut. So I go on, I go, I cross him on one side, Blake crosses him on the other, and we look, and as we look, we realize, we see it's this big bearded gentleman. He's got a big fuck off beard. And I, I don't remember at that point if we both made the realization at the same time yeah. that we realized it's Tom Noonan. Yeah. Tom Noonan. Because it's is, like heat. Yeah, heat, uh, heat era Tom Noonan. <laughs> yeah, well, a little after this is. I don't after, but he looks still looks. Yeah, he like looks that. heat. Yeah, he's got the big beard, like you know, like heat. Who knows? I forget. I guess we could type out what he was doing, figure out what he was doing then. So he starts at the next corner. He starts to cross the street. It's very funny. I the remember light this changes memory. and he starts crossing the street to west, cross. which is he's walking to my to my building I'll tell you where you live now. Yeah, he's walking across the avenue while we're walking north. He's walking west, so he's crossing the other way. We're continuing the same way we're going, and I remember I looked. back back and it's almost i always for my memory it's like the bigfoot <laughs> it, video. It, is, it is like it, the bigfoot it, it's, it's like the sabruder film bigfoot <laughs> video where you know how bigfoot in that video is walking and turns and walks yeah so it looks so back over his shoulder yeah tom noonan turns and i think tom noonan realizes that we realized that that was tom noonan yeah, so yeah. tom noonan's realizing that we realized who he is so he turns and looks at us and he makes this realization and we're like holy shit we just saw bigfoot tom noonan <laughs> <laughs> There's a sighting. Yeah, and it was just Tom Noonan walking with these two little girls to-, to Singing to, la, singing Hair Nielsen's yeah, With the lime in the coconut and drinking So uh, that's our Tom Noonan story. So we, then we were like, holy shit. And then we tried to get on social media, but social media hadn't been invented yet. So we said we would uh, send an email when we got back to the classroom. And we went to uh, Hero Boy and we had lunch at Hero Boy. And we couldn't believe that we had a Tom Noonan sighting. And- uh, and that exact, almost that exact spot is um, where I had an Al Pacino sighting. So whenever we do an Al Pacino movie, you can talk, I'll, you, tell you that, tell, I'll tell you, that story. I don't even know your Al Pacino story. <laughs> you have it's a not lot as of, exciting as Well, that. like it's like your John Lifgo, Lifgow, whichever way you yeah. want to go, story where you kept up with him for six blocks, you stalked him, and then you beat him up. Or my Harrison Ford story where he's like, <laughs> you call him Dr. Jones doll and he threw me a quarter. I didn't beat up John Lithgow. <laughs> no, you didn't. That story was just that I was walking next to this guy for, for a long time. Yeah, you guys are keeping up strides with each other. And then uh, they, then we get to the corner. And which we told this on the Harry and the Henderson yeah. story. Yeah, so. And it's a quick story, which yeah, is yeah. we get to the corner and then I look over to see who, like I just look at the guy. To see who you've been keeping up with for six blocks. Who I've been walking next to. We could have held hands. In tandem. <laughs> I mean, it's perfect stride, left, yeah. right, left, right. I mean, it's uh, the corners is where you stop and you look at things. And I looked over and it was fucking John Lithgow. And did he look at you? Yeah. yeah. Both out of breath too, like, <sighs> missed that cab. And then there's the Julianne Moore story, which we'll save for. You save. If we ever do a John I have Julianne. a funny, I just brought this guy up, but we were talking about last week in the Gremlins 2 episode, we were talking about 
the John Candy trying to catch a cab on planes, trains, and automobiles. And we were like, oh, maybe if he came out at the same time, he'd see John Candy on Park Avenue on the other side of the, what is it, the Woolsey building. Um, the guy who steals John Candy's cab, and it's not Kevin Bacon, the other guy, who's the bad guy in Die Hard 3 that uh, Bruce Willis fights in the cargo ship, the real tall guy. I started seeing that guy all the time when I would leave work at night. And it's funny, uh, I don't know where he would be walking to, but then we would start walking together. I was like, hey, it's the bad guy from Die Hard 3. So this happens a couple times. Then one night, uh, I walk out of my building at 10 o'clock at night to go to Grand Central. He's passing my building. I get behind him, and he's turning the same place I'm going. He ends up going to Grand Central. So I follow him to Grand Central. How weird. And I don't know what happened, because once we got to Grand Central, I thought it was a little too weird. I didn't see where he went, what train <laughs> he went on. Follow, sitting next to him on the train. Yeah, yeah, hello. And then that that is probably, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. Everything's just cast is 10 years ago. And then uh, about four years ago, I was at the Costco in Yonkers next to uh, Stu Leonard's that you and I used to go to. And he's in the Costco. And I'm, yeah. and so I said to him, <laughs> so I'm driving, going around. And so I, I assisted a guy. And I said to him, because I just saw him in something like a Law and Order episode or something, you know, because he's not a, he, I don't know, he's just, he's got a very familiar face. You see him. So I said to him, I go, I'm a big fan of yours, sir. And he like laughed out loud. Even he was like, ha. Ah. And he was, he was like, yeah, you know me, you fucking, I don't know. <laughs> But it was fun. so it was it was very funny. But that and that was it. And I was like, honey, that's the guy I've been telling you about. You honey, look, look, fuck, you missed it. You missed it. Well, so that's one of the perks of New York. Yeah, is that you get to see a lot of celebrities. Yeah, on the you street. see people walking by. I see many stories as they come up. But yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll relay them sightings. to you. But that's uh, our Tom Noonan sighting. That's our Tom. Yeah, that's our Tom Noonan sighting, and we're sticking to it. Uh, and then, you know, seeing the Tauruses in this movie, the cop cars, I remember, like I said, in the first RoboCop uh, podcast, those were the first times I ever saw those Astro vans and the tor- Ford Tauruses. I thought they were so futuristic looking. And now they just look so, you know, to me, old. But it's just so, so funny. And then Johnson, uh, for me, with his glasses, he was he was channeling, if we do a bio pick on Louis Farrakhan, we can have him be, do the Farrakhan pick because he seemed like he was uh, channeling Farrakhan in this. Uh, and then we... Also, did we say OCP Omni Consumer Products? Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I really liked seeing this, you know, this time around. I thought it was fun. Uh, is there anything else you think we should talk about? Anything that you could think of? Not off the top of my head. I'm sure once we I leave here and I'm showering later, notes. like, you know, tomorrow at night when I'm by myself and I'm, you know. You'll be drinking. Yeah. Drink. You'll do a spit take. And I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> Fuck. All over your wife. Yeah. <laughs> Ah, ah. Oh, nothing, honey. Uh, so, yeah. But, um, and it, I, like I said, I was surprised that it was only one year from the first movie to this movie. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I I liked it. I mean, it's been the same with you, same with Gremlins. I was, I was joking with Dion before we started rolling that, like, not only is this the summer of sequels. Summer but of sequels! <laughs> but it's also, like, the summer of, like, walk down memory lanes. Because a lot of... Because Deanna and I haven't seen any of these sequels in, the, yeah. in like, 15, 20 years. Uh, yeah. For the, a lot of this, like, Terminator 2 I hadn't seen in so long. This Gremlins. Gremlins I hadn't seen probably since the theater, like I said. This movie I haven't seen in a very long time. Because you... Like you said, I, I'm, I still think, I, oh, I still am a very young whippersnapper, so it's just you don't realize how much time goes by. So then suddenly you're like, what the fuck, you know? Um, the climax of this movie where the two of them are fighting, the elevator shaft bit, um, I do want to make mention that I, I saw, okay, 
Remember when RoboCop, when they're doing the presentation and RoboCop 2 comes out or the build, like, you know, the, the skyline and the old man's talking to RoboCop 2 and RoboCop walks in in the back and he and you in with that giant rifle. Yeah, uh, he's got like a the, yeah, like the fifty cal or maybe it's probably the rifle from the first movie that they use. Uh, he passes a guy in a wheelchair sitting there, and it's like, oh, there's a guy with a wheelchair there, and he's only like in two other shots, and then he's gone. I want to do a, a like a detective. Uh, PBS like mystery murder sub mysteries. <laughs> Have of that you seen guy. this man? Well, I wanted him to be the detective in the show. <laughs> you know? So he's like our pilot is like he's there and he's like in his world. I love that one guy with the wheelchair. I want to do a whole series on that guy. Um, but the ending when they do the big fight and I mean it's a great epic fight. The two of them in the elevator shaft coming out, falling down, and he he gets on RoboCop RoboCop 2's head and he rips freaking RoboCop's freaking uh, brains out and throws it on the ground and then he smashes it for good measure like. <laughs> Like it's, it's like the Wi-Fi is still working because the the, the robot Bluetooth. Looking. Yeah, the Bluetooth is because because his eye is still looking and he has to smash the brains. Um, it's very much like the first Iron Man. Like remember when he gets on Jeff Bridges's Iron Man outfit and he has to rip out. Like it's very yeah. you know very they reminiscent. Stole it, fucking people, man. So you know I found that pretty cool. Yeah, I mean it's a tour de force that end sequence oh, it's, it's, of it's, <clears throat> special effects for you know cutting from stop motion to like full size you know stuntmen being tossed around inside the inside the RoboCop outfit and they did all the special effects on a Commodore computer like the the, 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 the computing power which is crazy and we said what did we do recently a couple of months ago and they used, uh, I forget what it was but they did it like under, with a, under a gig of memory at the time yeah. whatever it was we did a couple of months ago and it's just to think of a comparative now like bringing up film school again you and I had to buy uh, external hard drives we bought 9 gig hard drives and they were like thousands of dollars back then because we needed the the, to, the external hard drive to save the film we were making the it on the hard drive and it's just so funny how quickly and what was the how how were those connected? Remember, you remember the old term of oh, sc- they're scuzzy drives. Yeah, scuzzy drives. Yeah, that's Blake's Blake's world, scuzzy. <laughs> and then I I think I told my Peter Weller story already on the um, on the first RoboCop episode. At but the Star Trek convention. Yeah, he was at the Star Trek convention and no one was around and he was by himself and he was just sitting there with a girl. And I was like, I want to go talk to Peter Weller. But I, you know, I, I don't. What am I gonna, you know? I don't, don't want to give him money. Oh, I don't want to. That's spend, what he's here for. Yeah, I don't want to sp- give him a hundred bucks just to, you know, have him sign. Like, a, yo, fucking yo, mummies. Peter, yeah. So that's what I said to him. So I went up to him, <laughs> and my wife got a couple pictures. Uh, she so snagged a couple. I went up to him, I was like, hey, you know, and it was true. Uh, you know, I said like I liked. He did a couple episodes of History Channel. They were doing like because uh, he's he was teaching, like I think history, world history, or something history in Utica, or somewhere up there. And he did these episodes of, you know, inside the, was it the architecture member of Egypt? And he did a couple. And I said to him, I really, it was around 1999, 2000, early 2000s. And he's like, oh, thanks, man. He's like, I like those too. He's like, the problem is, you know, History Channel don't want that anymore. They want all this reality show shit. And I'm like, I know, it fucking sucks, Peter Weller. (laughs) You're right, Peter Weller. (laughs) Fucking blows. Screw History Channel. And, you know, I'm glad they found the technology (laughs) to bring you back from a robot, Peter. Oh, well, thank you, son. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, you look great after the cosmetic surgery of getting your body back. (laughs) Amazing, Peter Weller. So, um, you know, he was really nice about it. And I said, he's like, what's your name? I was like, Dion. He's like, Dion, you have a good day. I was like, thank you, Peter Weller. Thank you. And then I was like, smile, Peter Weller, smile. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was taking a picture 20 feet away. Hey, what's that over there, Peter Weller? (laughs) Oh, my God. Wow, okay. (laughs) So that was my Peter Weller. He was a great guy. 
really, really happy. Really happy I met, like, you know, a down-to-earth Peter Weller. Next one, we do Leviathan. I would have loved, I don't think they still have the band, but... Oh, his, ba- his, his band from the, the... With Jeff Goldblum? Yeah, I guess we would, <laughs> you know what, we would do Buckaroo Banzai. Oh, yeah. And then, uh, what other, uh, maybe we would do Screamers, because that's a, uh, what's his face? Isn't that Richard, Richard, no, it's Philip K. Dick, I think, Screamers, the, that, that movie, that sci-fi movie. Oh, yeah, he's in that. And then uh, Leviathan. Leviathan's, Leviathan's always playing late at night on like George one of the... George P. Cosmatos. Uh, and uh, Richard Chamberlain, not Richard Chamberlain, Richard um, uh, from uh, Troutman. Krenna. Oh, yeah. Krenna's Richard Krenna's in it. And uh, Ernie Hudson. You could do like a Leviathan Deep Star See, the, Six or whatever that another, was called. Double feature. We were just talking about last week. <laughs> was it me talking how scary it is with the, with the shit in the bodies and the eyeballs and the st- Stephen King short story from maybe... I forget what short story book that's from. Maybe not Needful Things or... Uh, anyway. But that's another thing that freaks the shit out of me a Leviathan. Because remember they start like... The, the shit's falling off of him in the shower and maybe there's like a and Daniel Stern's in it Daniel Stern like it's it's like the the virus that they drink in the Russian for some reason they're like we found Russian vodka in this declassified Soviet ship that's radioactive that they scully let's drink it you know <laughs> anyway uh, but that, that's free, Leviathan always freaked me out too for that I could see us doing any of those movies especially you cannot Le- see us doing I can oh, I cannot see us doing any of those, <laughs> those movies, movies <laughs> hogwash off limits poppycock uh, oh, let me show Blake the the cover of the the graphic novel RoboCop Two. I brought it with me. It's pretty yeah, badass. It's, it's a badass. I guess they put it out in issues. But my friend Martin and I, we had the proper just graphic okay. novel. You know, bad badassery. The trade. Yeah, the trade. Now they call it the trade. Back when we were little, we were like, "Mom, it's called a graphic novel." Fucking shit, mom. <laughs> God damn it. God damn wow. it. I got to carry you through life. So anyway, we're getting a little punch drunk. And then if we get too loud, Blake's mom's going to come oh, down yeah. and say, when's it going to end? And you don't want to hear Blake's mom saying, when's it going to end? Because <laughs> then it gets scary. Um, Our Philadelphia accent. Yeah. Uh, what, how do you go into that? You did it. <laughs> oh, uh, Daryl Hall and Oates. <laughs> That's it right there. Water. Yeah. Water. Oats. The whole, and Oats. Every time I hear that accent, I think of your mom now. When I saw the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I'm like, that's like 52 Bacon. <laughs> John Glover. Okay. Uh, All right. Anything I, yeah, else? I don't think we've got anything else for the movie. Anything else, Jimmy? Anything else? Oh, Jimmy says OCP, their their flag looked almost like a Nazi flag. Very good, Jimmy. That's correct. Thanks, and, Jim. Uh, what else, Jim? Oh, uh, Jim also says it's interesting you get Paul Verhoeven leaves to do Total Recall. Some people don't care for Total Recall too much. You and I did a Total Recall episode last year, which we talk about how much we loved it and, and the, at the time. Mm-hmm. But you have that coming out in 1990, which is like the flagship of kind of that early CGI. And then you have Gremlins 2 coming out, which is pure insanity. And then I think one of somebody, uh, you know, a, a critic said you distill both those movies and then you, you get RoboCop 2 out of it. You know, they're the, you know, the... The sci-fi aspect of Total Recall, and then you get the zaniness of the, and then the 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 uh, societal stuff, and then you get RoboCop too. So yeah, interesting. Uh, the this I think I said to you off mic, but I didn't enjoy. I did not enjoy this novelization as much as I've been enjoying the other novelizations because it was just I don't know. I I enjoyed the Terminator ones much better than this one, but uh, I think Ed Nana maybe is his name. Uh, he wrote it, and it's available if you want to. Sorry, pick it up. Ed. <laughs> no, no, not personal, Ed. You know, you know. Uh, Just didn't speak to me. It was some of it was a little heavy-handed, but you know what can you? you know, and then adding in the I don't know why that would be him making the 
old man racist. I mean, I guess it's not a leap too far, but like him, like saying, you know, well, maybe to, you're just racist. Yeah, maybe you're just fucking and racist. You read, and you read racism yeah. into yeah, it. Yeah, when he said "boy," that's what he meant. He was a fucking. You're the boy, slave, boy. Um. So yeah, but um. Let's see what else we have going on. Uh, we are in. We are fully in the summer of sequels. Yeah. So now we're, th- we're three deep. Yeah, we're going. We're going deep, deep, tray deep. deep. So check us out. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter. Uh, you can check us out at our website, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. You can check check us out at clnsmedia.com. Uh, .com. CLNS Media. They've got some good stuff. The good fellows over there are doing stuff. You could find us over there with yeah, a lot of Yeah, they got a lot stuff. of shit going on over got there. tons of stuff going on at CLNS I mean, Media. Not, I've seen a lot of sports stuff. We've yeah. mentioned that in the past. A lot of Boston-centric, but then they also they have also a lot of other stuff. a lot stuff. of other uh, podcasts yeah. and whatnot. Yeah, so go check out CLN, clnsmedia.com. Uh, Blake's always doing something. I've always got something going on. You know, I was thinking. Uh-oh. I don't want to get too far down another rabbit hole, but I was thinking the other day. Imagine when I finish this book, if I just stopped doing everything, how much time I'd have on my hands. But I, I mean, I can't give up Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. <laughs> but I've, I've been thinking about it. <laughs> but imagine if I didn't have 8 million podcasts, a book, all this writing. Now tell me about how it. Much, how much free time I'd have when I get home from work. Tell me about amazing. it. I know. But uh, until then. I'm burning both ends the, of the candles. Until then, you can uh, hear me on uh, Cuts from the Crypt which is a podcast from the Damn Fine Network. Mm-hmm. Damn Fine Network has a lot of really great music shows, including Cuts from the Crypt, hosted by yours truly, where I, pay, where I play uh, horror movie music. Uh, got Scored to Death, the podcast, where I interview composers, and, of course, I've got Scored to Death... Uh, what's the name of my book? Scored to Death, the Conversations, Conversations with, with some of our greatest composers. composers. Which I also feature uh, interviews with some amazing composers discussing the film industry and the art of scoring films. And, uh, of course, Dion Baia has a book that you should buy <laughs> online. Buy it online. Called uh, Blood in the Streets. Yes, it's available on a, uh, paperback, um, ebook, and audiobook. You can get it from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, wherever you get your books. If you like historical fiction, police, cop movies, 70s cop movies, thrillers, police thrillers, whodunits, all that kind of thing, you might like this if you like The Doors. Uh, you know, it's like a gritty 70s cop movie. So check it out, Blood in the Streets. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks. We've got another great uh, movie coming down the tube. This is going to be a fun one. That's our 2019 Summer, Summer of Sequels continues. Later.